Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, MJ, and I'm going to tell you about my number one secret when I shop for wine. The best strategy is to look at the back label and look for a trusted importer. And one of the most trusted names in wine for the past 30-plus years is Skernick Wines and Spirits. Since 1987, the Skernick brothers, Michael and Harmon, have scoured the earth looking to find super high-quality wines of distinction and then bring them back into the United States so that they can be available to you at your local store or restaurant. The company is headquartered right here in New York City, but they are also a direct wholesale distributor in eight states, including New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, and last but definitely not least, my beloved wine home of California. They also import many wines that are sold in all 50 states through their partner distributors. I recently interviewed Harmon Skernick right here on the Black Wine Guy podcast, and let me tell you, these guys are the real deal. If you want to learn more about Skernick Wines and Spirits, please have a look at their awesome website. It's www.skernick.com. That's www.skurnik.com. Or you can even give them a call at 212 212- 273-W-I-N-E. That's 212-273-WINE. Hey, I'm MJ Taylor, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, hey, everybody. What's up? This is your boy, MJ, and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is sommelier, wine sales and marketing phenom, and chief revenue officer for 100 Acres Wine Group, Landon Patterson. A native of Southern California, Landon began his wine career as a sommelier in Las Vegas, working with the venerable Wolfgang Puck at his signature restaurants on the Strip. While there, he built a passion and a strong platform of knowledge focused on international luxury wines with a specialty in wines from Italy, and Spain. Landon's love of wine and natural ability to impart that passion to consumers, especially luxury customers, quickly led him into the world of sales and marketing. Over the last 20 years, his deep knowledge of international and luxury wines seamlessly translated into working as a sales and marketing leader with small U.S. family-owned wine producers. Uh, Landon became a member of the 100-acre team at the beginning of 2013, Over the past eight years, he has managed all aspects of sales and marketing, which work hand-in-hand in in driving revenue, and expanded the 100-acre portfolio of wines into 35 countries on four continents. And when he's not traveling the world for work, he's also a dog daddy to his beloved French bulldog, Sigmund, and spending time with his lovely fiance. What's her name again? Safia. With Safia. Welcome, Landon. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I'm going to add it in the next hour. I'm just going to slowly work it in, you know. Uh, also, I'm very big in doing philanthropy work. Uh, my MC, I donate a lot of my MC time for charity. So that's something I figured. Okay. Put this big mouth to work and uh, okay. make some uh, make some uh, money for a good cause. Absolutely, I'm all about that. All right, so uh, Landon, what are we drinking tonight? 
world premiere. You got to do that. Dee, 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 dee. Like <laughs> just <laughs> this, this just in. Um, so oh, oh, sorry, hold on. Yeah, it's like the like 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 the teletype. Yeah, the thing. Like yeah, yeah, whatever that kind of thing was called. The telegraph. Yeah, telegraph. Some kind of some like odd on the wire. One of those old yeah old World War Two movies with beep beep beep. You know, yeah, some kind of radar. Yeah, yeah, like ham radio or some some some. So, you know, I am back in New York after two uh, long years. It's actually, it was about 18 months. It felt like 10 years uh, mm. being away. And so I'm here uh, for our release of our 100 Acre uh, 2018s. And so I brought the very first bottle of the uh, Kaylee Morgan and Arc Vineyards. And I just tasted them for the first time as well. So this is straight off. This is hot for me as well. So these are So these are like the first two bottles. Yeah, these are the first two bottles. I mean, I... Jason's a trip, our owner winemaker. He doesn't allow any barrel sampling. He doesn't allow no one but him tastes the wines. Um, I've been with him for almost 11 years now. No barrel thief has got into a barrel. He doesn't pull samples and taste them. And te- he's, he's just, he's like, dude, don't, we don't touch these wines. So the, when critics, to go, the critics get them, they know, they like, you, like Jeb can't come in and no, no, barrel No, we t- do none of that. Okay. We do none of wow. that. We actually, <coughs> several years ago, Jason stopped doing barrel samples uh, because he felt that that isn't what the wine is. It's sort of like some version of the wine. And also, you know, a lot of winemakers, uh, I won't out anybody, but they would put together a composite. No, motherfucker stack barrels. No, dude. They, Everybody they, knows that. Well, they put composite <laughs> blends together yeah. that was like the best possible. Of course. Yeah, they stack them. You know, barrel. you'd end up seeing these in like, you know, a wine would get 99 in the barrel and then 95 in the bottle. It's like, what happened yeah. in a year it got worse? Right. So I think Jason felt that was a little bit disingenuous, but there was also a little bit, he sort of treats wine like a souffle in the oven. You can't open it and check it out. Like if you open it, the souffle falls. Like patience is a virtue. And he says this all the time. He goes, my greatest strength is resisting. Mm. He's like, you don't think I want to touch it? You don't think I want to taste it? I want to fiddle with it. I want to tinker with it. He's like, it's done. I made the wine. There's nothing I'm going to do when it's in a barrel to make it better. It's like on the journey. So let's be patient. And mm. and so for me, that's this is always a fun day for me because, you know, I get to try the vintage. I'm very blessed to try these wines a lot. Sure. I mean, I do it for a living. But you do get tired. You kind of taste the same vintage over and over again. You're like, okay, that's cool. But when you try the new vintage, there's always kind of like, ooh, it's like Christmas. It's yeah. like, ooh, what's this going to be like? And so um, it's fun for me, you know. And then this first to do it in New York also, which is a, you know. An, and to do it on the BWG. Yes, absolutely. How I told you breaking news. Yeah, yeah exactly. no doubt. We're all about that. So. I know. You know, and, and uh, that is dope that it's in New York. Um, you know, I had posted on IG somewhere. I was doing a live and I. Had mentioned New York's like the number one wine city in the world. Someone's like, "How is that?" I'm like, Are you, "Because everybody comes through here. Everything comes through here, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. There's amazing wines in Paris and Spain, all around the world. But you know, but you can't get them all, all there. That's what I'm saying. You can't get them all there. Yeah, in Paris, you can get all the dope oh, French, French stuff, but right. you're not getting you're the, not getting um, Spanish shit. You're not, yeah. you know. I mean, yeah. so that's the thing is, you can get them all here. You know, yeah. that's why the UN is here. That's why we had a restaurant called Windows on the World, which yeah, was for sold sure. more wine because it was to literally to have wines. You know, they've been making wine in Uruguay and Chile, Chile for way more than you know. Because yeah. and they had bottles of those at Windows on the World. The whole idea was to bring this thing together. So that's what's cool about this. Well, and you also got to say it's the closest big city to Europe too. So and that's it's it. like it's, I mean, it's closer yeah. to it's, yeah. you know listen, it's listen. an eight hours across the listen. pond situation. So. The, the, you you the wine comes over on the boats, Port Elizabeth probably. Yeah. 
and then it gets on trucks and it goes over the West Coast. Right? Yeah. That's how it rolls. When I was a young buck, you know, I took Italian wine. You were saying when you did my opening, like Italian wine is a big passion wine. I started in Italian wine. And there's a great producer, um, uh, Silvio Yerman. So mm-hmm. Yerman wines, he's from Alto Adige. These wines are epic white wines. And mm-hmm. I tasted them as a young psalm and was into them. And I came to New York at a tasting and there was like, at a restaurant had five wines from him that I had never seen before. I was mm-hmm. like Gewurzeminer's, Blaukfrankirsch's, Pinot Nero's, and I was like, I just, I was like, dude, can I get these in California? He's like, no. Nah. They bring like <laughs> a mixed palette for just the nerds, or you got to go to Alto Adige. Yeah, so I was like, right. and that was what I think was such a cool part of New York was the discovery of stuff, you know. And the, you know, if you can bring it here and sell it, then you probably got a chance to sell it somewhere else. But yeah. you're gonna live and die, right. you know, right. and like you know, a five mile radius, and this is gonna decide the future of a wine. That's <laughs> true in a lot of ways, yeah. you know, especially for for those types of wines. Yeah, so. that's really cool. So let's start at the beginning. Let us yes. begin. What, where, why, and when? So you're <laughs> from uh, Southern California. Yes, sir. Summertime in the LBC, right? Yes, sir. Okay, from 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 um and. Uh, so you grew up in Long Beach, right? Or yeah. So I actually grew what up. Parts? I actually grew up in uh, Hermosa Beach, which okay. is uh, as a kid. So I was sort of in the South Bay area, and right. then when I was seventeen, South Bay is like Hermosa, so you got Manhattan, Manhattan, and yes, Redondo. Yeah, sort of like thirty minutes south of Santa, Santa Monica, right yep. on the water. You know, it was like Hermosa Beach is like a stoner beach town. I mean, the biggest store in Hermosa Beach at that time was a head shop and it was like the biggest <laughs> it's called Greco's and it was like where you bought your Bob Marley poster your bong and your tie-dye and uh which was cool it was kind of scummy but like you know it was affluent but like scummy you know and that was great I was into that you know a lot of all that and then I moved to Long Beach uh at 17 when I started college and Long Beach is just what it's about man Long Beach is you know it's kind of in a weird way, like New York, it's got a lot of like boroughs. It's got like a regions and funky fourth, Belmont Shore, mm-hmm. East Side, Bixby Knolls, downtown Pike. And each one of them has got a lot of its own flavor. So when I started going to college there, I just met just an unbelievably diverse group of people there. So I would really, although I'm from Hermosa, Long Beach has been my my home base. I live there now and I'm, oh, I'll probably die there. So nice. Yeah. So let's, let's back up a little bit. So, um, was like actually listened to you on another podcast and um like you left home at 16 like what yeah. was like so you and i heard you kind of like had a uh moved around a lot as a kid yeah. like so 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 what like kind of walk me through just kind of quickly like what it was like growing up um you know uh in a home where there was uh turmoil yeah, man. You know, um, I grew up in this, I just had a crazy life. You know, I, uh, there was a lot in my family. There was a lot of, uh, substance issues. There was a lot of mental health issues, just a lot of crazy stuff. Like from birth, you know, it started on day one, like you came out of the, out of, out of the womb into the crib and it just started getting crazy like that. And so, you know, I, I went to nine different schools. Um, so I'm from kindergarten to senior. I went to nine different schools. I was moving around a lot. I was getting, you know, I never really got to know anybody very well. I was like constantly the new kid. I had a lot of learning disabilities and I was, had a lot of weight issues as a kid. So, uh, I was just like savagely bullied. So I just, I, mm. my, my, my young life was just very, um, you know, I was just like, always kind of proving myself nobody I was never part of anything you know what I mean and I was like always searching for that and so you know as a young kid you know although there was you know some certainly some love in my family it was kind of like 
you know, you ain't living until you had like, you know, the police called on Thanksgiving four years in a row. It was kind of that kind of thing, you know? Um, although I have an amazing family now and life is much better for them, but I just, in that time, it was just kind of hectic, you know? Um, and, you know, there was no wine in my life, actually. It was like cheap beer and other stuff, you know what I mean? So I didn't grow up. Like the fact that I work now for, you know, one of the most prestigious wines in the world and I get to eat all that, it's, I grew up with like had none of that. You know, the antithesis of that, you know, so, you know, I'm like moving up in the world, you know, and it's it's an interesting journey in that regard. So, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I find it's very interesting because I think most people who are in wine and in hospitality, more on the sales and marketing side, like didn't grow up with it. Like yeah. it's one thing, you know, I mean, if you're a Mondavi kid, you you grew up on, uh, you know, a winery and yeah. you grew up around wine and and then, you know, some people, um, you know. I don't know if you'll get over and see uh, Paul Greco at Terroir because they don't yeah. sell. Yeah, but like you know, his family had a restaurant, right? So, yeah. so but there are a few people we've had, but most people who are in it, like it's like you said, it's like first of all, just the nature of. Um, um, and I was talking to someone who comes like um, understanding service versus servitude, but like, um, you know, and wine just isn't 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 just a thing. It's not, and particularly early American. So I'm 53, right? So like. And, you know, there was wine commercials, Matus Rosé and, yeah. you know, and some other, what was the other Rosé? Lancers. Lancers. Yeah, for sure. Yep. It Lancers. was like Blue Nun, you had all Blue, that kind of stuff. Blue Nun. That was kind of the jam. Um, thing, that yeah. was the jam. Um, yeah, the Carlo Rossi, uh, Carlo Rossi. Type, that type of stuff. Like, yeah. But even then, like, there, there was like no wine in my house. Like, only my like, mom would have, only like my mom grandma's would have, like, drank that. Like my Schaefer grandma would peanuts, drink yeah. like, you know, bad white Zinfandel or like Juggo, whatever, you know. So she was down to drink and didn't really care what was in it, but... Yeah, but in all fairness, and you probably know this now, um, that you know, I found later found out like that Carlo Rossi Hardy Burgundy in yeah. the seventies, that was like all old vines Zinfandel. Like it's it like eighty percent old vines Zinfandel. It was like field blends. They were like giving it away, man. When when <laughs> when one of the great Zinfandel producers in California, Segacio, yep, their kids like the dad had like the bomb Zinfandel vines, and in the seventies and eighties, it was like we didn't. There was no Zinfandel market, so. Yep. That white Zinfandel was, if they would have made red wines from it, it, would have been epic stuff. And now they make epic wine from the same vines. Right. Like nothing changed. So, right. yeah, it's amazing how our perspective can change. You're selling like a $2 bottle, and today it's a $50, I, bottle, I same know. vines. You I know. know. So, it's, it's bananas. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so you know, to, uh, what's it called? What do they call it? Sad. So standard American diet kind of growing up. Yeah, no. Wonder Bread. Yeah, no. I was a fat kid, like straight up. I looked like Chunk from the Goonies. I, oh my I God. grew up. I had like the proper Jufro, like as a Jewish <laughs> kid. I had like, they used to ask me, like, my, they used to ask my mom, are, did you perm his hair? Like I had that oh kind of, Wait. like you see my hair now and it's straight, but there's so much gunk in there. It's like spackled. Like, you know what I mean? So, but I had that like proper volume. You know what I mean? So that was the legit thing. So, I, both my parents were kind of not in the home, and so it was a lot of McDonald's, a lot of fat kid food, you know, um, you know, certainly not a high culinary situation. I mean, I never ate fish until I was 20, I don't think. I never even had, like, a fish stick. Like, I've come to think of it, like... That's like, probably not the worst thing, yeah. but but still, I know what yeah. you're saying. I mean, like, vegetables for us was like French fries. Yeah. Like, that's a vegetable, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Or like fried something. That was like as close as you get. So I just like definitely had like <laughs> nothing but a fat kid diet. You know, I look at my mom now as I'm like in relatively good shape. I'm like, mom, you did this to me. 
That was your damn fault. Like you didn't think about it. She's like, I, I, this is what I know. She's this is all I know. So it was sweet. But I was like, the pre-diabetes is a problem at oh 22. You know? So not too bad. So, so um, you left home at 16. What was that? Like what prompted you just like, because that's like some serious shit. You know, it, it was sort of like you had a choice. Like you could like live in shit or get out of shit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that was kind of a, uh, the decision you make, you know, you kind of decide like, dude, there's something more like it is, it can't be worse. Like if I go out and do my thing, one of the good things that was really lucky for me as a kid was I, uh, learned how to make money really early. Like I was that hustler kid who was okay. like, you know, uh, I remember there was a, 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 one of the houses we had like had fruit trees. And my mom was like, oh, you got to clean it up and da, da, da. And I was like, all right. I just picked all the fruit and sold it door to door. You know, so early on, I kind of had that like hustler spirit because I realized like if I wanted it, I had to go get it myself. So at 16, I kind of knew that I could like, I could do it. You know, I slept on a futon mat and, and I rented it in someone's house and went to high school and finished high school and signed all my own notes and did all my own stuff. And um, I will tell you, as traumatic as that sounds, it was magic for me as a 16 year old because like knowing that I could do, I, I could live and like support myself at a very young age. You know, that's not a lot of kids right now feel that like oh, no. they're just like on the teat till they're 35. Dude. You know what I mean? No, that's, so that's hardcore. I love what you said. You said, you know, like you're like, I made some money, right? Like that's yeah. like, I, you know, I know I got family members, kids like quit jobs after two weeks, man. Like they talk about you disrespected me. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, kids are changing jobs like every 15 minutes, and you know, for me, it was like my first job, like proper job, was like a Boston Market, it was like a chicken joint, and then I worked my way up and was like a waiter at or a busboy at Outback Steakhouse. I was making 30 bucks a shift, and that was five bucks for gas for a week. So I was that was living well, and I was like. Okay, so if I pick up another shift, I got 30 more bucks. And then it was like, so I learned that really early. And so I think the hustler spirit was a huge part of my my early existence. And so although that was traumatic in one regard, it was the most liberating thing ever. And I really realized early on, especially when I started college, that I just had something that my other friends didn't have because they were just dependent on their parents, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and and you know, I they didn't, you know, so that was a big part of my life, you know, in a good way. So early on, you said, quote, you said you were you were bullied aggressively. Mm -hmm. So like, you move out at sixteen. Like, why did you keep going to school? Like, 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 and you said, I think you said ADD, like yeah. real ADD, not like yeah, for real, like you know, like Ritalin at six, seven years old, like that type of stuff. You know, as I was saying on the other podcast that I had done. Um, you know, I knew what a loser was, you know what I mean? Like I knew that it wasn't that like I saw losers and mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I can be that or I can not be that. Like I, part of that independence, let me know that I was in control of my life, you know? And, you know, one of the things my grandparents were, um, you know, immigrants from, uh, you know, Jewish immigrants from Russia, they had sixth grade educations and, you know, they built a life for themselves. And so I, I knew that like, you know, I didn't want to, I, I knew I wasn't going to the fanciest school. I wasn't going to be the most X and Y, but I was going to finish everything. Okay. You know, um, I would say one of the great skills I have is that I can take a punch. Yeah. 
Like most people can't take a punch. Yep. I'm like, I will get back up. You're gonna have to kill me. Yep. Like I'm gonna keep getting up yep. in life and in spirituality and my in my work. And so that early resiliency is like sort of take the negative and the positive. It, it was a huge part of like shaped who I am. And um, you know, there's some negatives to it, but but man, like what a gift. You yeah. know, it's like to rise again. You know, on the new day every day. It's yeah. like okay, I got that. You know. That's what's up. <clears throat> you should be a motivational speaker. You just—you got me thinking about because um, I can bring everything back to a movie because everything. Yeah, for sure. Everything's movies, a movie. You know, yeah, everything's a movie, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, Rocky Balboa—the one where he, where he's like, he hasn't fought. He's old. He's got the restaurant. His son's not talking to him. Oh like, yeah, I know what you're about to say. You know the scene? Oh, yeah, okay, he's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, life will beat you down if you let it. But it yeah. ain't about how hard you can hit. It's about how many times you, you can, can get, get hit. Yeah. And get back up. Yeah. And and. That's the truth, because you know, and and I think I just like when you said like, you know, words like okay, loser, right? There's ways like, you know, there's Beck, I'm a loser, baby. Like there's but there no. but like when when you're saying it like there's a difference. I think people go, um, like let's use sports, right? The I don't even know who's playing anything right now, but I've been watching so much sports, right? Yeah, okay, right. but the, the, let's just say the Yankees lost last night. Yeah. They lost. Okay, the loser is the person who can't pick themselves back up. Yeah, right. You can, you can, you can, you can lose. Yeah. You can lose, but you get back up. And, you know, people go, and then you know a lot of losers are now lost they they it, it, there was something so much riding on it and and but it that being said everybody life is fucking hard and if you listen to the landon story just so far yeah life's hard for everybody though yeah you know well and you know what they say it's like a rocky thing or just in life the only thing you can control is your effort you know what i mean in you know it's coming back to like stoics you know they were saying the biggest thing only thing you control is your perception that that's that's what i would say too yeah yeah it, you know it's it, you know i was reading a book before this called the way of zen and mm -hmm. it's by uh, alan watts who's a you know yeah, philosoph alan watts, yeah. you know great mm -hmm. dude philosophical guy and you know he was talking about a um, he, there was a story about a zen master like a student and the student was was very sad and he goes to the master and he goes Master, I'm so lonely. I don't have any friends here. I have absolutely nothing. And the master goes, oh, well, you have absolutely nothing. You're all alone. He goes, okay, close your, close your eyes. And he goes, tell me what you hear. And he goes, um, I hear uh, a bird. And he goes, okay. Okay, what else do you hear? He goes, um, I hear a, a river. Okay, what else do you hear? Uh, I hear a, a bug. Wow, you're, 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 awfully, you're surrounded by so much for someone who's so lonely. You know what I mean? It's the perception yep. of of how we how we go. You know, and I think I think also sort of early on as a kid, I what I didn't do is I didn't like say, oh, woe is me, I got a shit, I got a shit, you know, deal. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Like I just kind of was like, all right, this is what it is. Like no one's gonna cry for me. You know, yeah. so yeah. I mean, it's just the reality. Um, there are better hands that are dealt in life, and there's people who have winning hands who are dealt winning hands. And then fuck it up. <laughs> no, for sure. And, then, I mean, and there's, you know, you know. It's like you say losers. It's like I know a lot of rich people that are losers. Mm -hmm. It's their approach. It's how they yeah. process things. It's how, how they, they life. Yeah, they live it. How life, they move through the world. Yeah, one hundred percent. So it's a trip in that regard. You know? So um, yeah, no, that's that's I love it. He's a thinking man. Yes, you know, I wasn't always that way, but it was definitely. No, you're always thinking. Years. Just yeah. weren't aware of it. We yeah, were. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Well, or you, you know. A lot of times when you're young, you're just doing it, and yeah. you don't really know why. Yep. You kind of like don't have a cerebral understanding of why you're doing something, and I think that's, 
you know, as I became older in my life and in my career, you know, I was able to kind of put a, put a point on it, you know, and that's a big deal. So yeah. Um, and then something you said, like about school, you said you were going to finish it. You know what I mean? And and I just also think school is inherently um, school is kind of fucked up because uh, they like to label kids. Yeah. And and then they label them and then wonder why they're struggling because what it's doing is self esteem. But yeah. like you know. Like I was someone who um, I don't take notes. I don't yeah. take notes. Yeah. I don't. I like. I learn by listening and then yeah, doing. Yeah. The same. Yeah. And so, like, that was a point of contention with some teachers. Like, you're not paying attention. Like, I'm yeah. like, no respect for learning styles. Um, well, you know, too, it was, um, you know, you're you're basically. You know, for me, because I was ADD, I, I, I was the same. I couldn't write. I couldn't read, but I could listen. I had mm-hmm. a crazy sick memory. So I was an auditory learner. So if you put me in a place where it was going to be a, a uh, like a lecture hall, when I got to college and I got into lecture halls, I was slaying it, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. I could remember it. I didn't need to take the notes, mm-hmm. you know. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a skill that you end up, you know, bringing on later in life, you know. I think one of the one of the things though that became you know a little bit a part of my story was I was obsessed with proving people wrong though. Mm-hmm. Like as an early child and as a young man, it was like my career, my life. I was like, dude, I'm gonna prove all those fools wrong. I never talked to a single person the day after I graduated high school. Never saw anyone again. But in my soul, I'm like, when they see me, I'm gonna have the whip. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have the wine. I'm gonna have the life. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have the hot chick. I'm gonna have all these types of things. And so I became just like savage about my career and about like achieving things. And, you know, that, that had its drawbacks, you know, for sure. Now in my life, I, I'm much more sort of deeper spiritual understanding of why I do things. But that's a, that was sort of what, like in the, my twenties, I was like a savage animal, you mm-hmm. know, in my thirties as well. So, okay. So, you know, and you know, I'd like this conversation because we've had so many people, we've had a, a few people on the show who like, you know, struggled in school and they're like crushing it in business and life right now. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? I mean, I don't know if you probably watch Gary Vaynerchuk and he hated school yeah, and he sure. sucked at school. Yeah. He's going to be a fucking billionaire one day. Yeah. Um, you know, we had uh, this kid Thacker Baker Briggs on and he dropped out of school basically when he was like 12, 13, you know? Mm-hmm. And because um, <clears throat> he liked, he knew he liked to cook. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I could, he's like, I could work in restaurants or I could, he's like, well, I couldn't go to the CIA because I didn't graduate high school. Yeah, right. For sure. But but like. Like they didn't have like a GAD get in for that? (laughs) No, no, I guess you had to like show that you could basically read and write before you could cook. Exactly. But, um, and there's just a lot of different stories of of, of people who were very successful, who school wasn't, wasn't, wasn't for them. But um, I kind of had the same, like I had a little bit, I, I turned around in college. So. Like you mentioned, you went to college and you were down in Long Beach. And yeah, you, you were meeting different people from different kind of sections of the city. Yeah, so, for sure. So, so like, what, what, what was it? Um, what was it about college? You think that that really turned, not really turned it around, but like yeah. gave you more fuel? Because you always said you had the drive. You know, what well, gave you more what fuel? What changed? What changed about college for me was the day I went to college, nobody knew me. They didn't know my trauma. They didn't know my past. They didn't right. know my life. So. Right. I kind of became my real self. Like, you know, people didn't have all this preconceived notions about myself. They didn't know. And and so I was, and people were like, oh, dude, this guy's funny. Oh, this Mm -hmm. guy knows how to party. He knows how to Mm -hmm. do X. He knows how to do Y. 
And so I really blossomed in a massive way. I really changed um, a tremendous amount of who I am. And so it was, um, it was amazing. And all of my friends, my clique, my crew, I met in the first week of college, and I'm still best friends with them today. I'm best friends with their wives. I'm you know, godfather to their children. I've got all these different pieces. So it's amazing how things changed, you know, and yeah. how you can shed that skin and be something more, you know, so. Yeah, I like that. I mean, you said something earlier, but like just when you wake up every day is a new day. Um, but that ability, like, it was like a reinvention of yourself, mm -hmm. you know, because cause like, you know, at my high school, it was like, you know, I, I was like, I don't know, man. I got teased a little bit and shit. And like, yeah. you know, I, I left high school thinking I was corny, you know what I mean, to be honest. Yeah. And I went to college and I was like, oh, no. You're dope, dude. You know what I mean? Like nobody knows, you know, when you get teased in the sixth grade and you're crying or whatever you know, in school, you're 12 years old. Well, and so I don't old. think people realize like when I say bullying, I'm talking like cried my eyes out every no, day. No, I know. Like, decade. Like, 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 like ass beat, like, like, like chased and run. I think and bullying's like, bad, but yeah. people don't know what bullying used to be. Well, a lot of the reason I went to so many schools was because the kids were so brutal to me. My parents were worried about me. Wow. You know what I mean? So it was a trip. I mean, some of it was because they were just weird people and right. they had a lot of stuff going on. But like, you know, your kid comes home and is like crying his eyes out every day. You're like, you know, okay, we'll just change schools. And you just realize like, you know, also like today there's a lot of awareness about bullying. Like yeah. my dad just was like, just beat their ass. Like he right. was like, that was, that, like was, that, that was, was his school. whole so move. Was, was like, that one day I remember it was like nine years old. He taught me how to like punch a kid in the nose. <laughs> He's like, let me show you. He's like, he goes, look, if you get expelled or something, just That's break okay. one nose and no one's going <laughs> to get to you again. That was his advice, you know, and not probably not pro like if you gave that advice today, like just put them in the hospital and they'll never mess with you again. That is excellent advice though. Let me tell you. It, a little, on, like, on I, you don't want to hurt, I mean, hurt somebody long term, but breaking their nose, they're not going to die. No, exactly. Okay. It's just, you know. And it's a good place because it bleeds a lot. It makes yeah. a big scene. And, and hey, don't push me because I'm close, close to, to the, the edge. edge. You know what right, I mean? Like exactly. you did mess with the kids. So, you know, but but all of those experiences, you know, in as a young man and have changed everything for me in, in who I am. And I, you know, I, I had to come to terms with the joys and the pains of it all. But like, you know, in the end, I wouldn't change a damn thing. Yeah. You know, my life, I, I you know. If I was to, I never went to my 10 year graduation or 20 year. If I went to my 20 year, dude, I've been to 60 countries. I've, you know, I joke, I go, I made breakfast in bed for Anthony Bourdain. You know, I've, <laughs> I've like met kings and queens, tasted the best foods in the world. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, uh -huh. oh, okay, you got 2.2 kids and yeah. it's pretty boring and, you know, you're, yeah. you, you hate your, you hate each other and mm -hmm. that's a good life. Like, mm -hmm. I'm sipping it and live. <laughs> I'm just at the teat of life right now because just savoring all that stuff is it's so awesome. It's dope. And you know, and you know what? And, you, and I think um, there's so many things that get a bad rep, but Ooh. you should celebrate. I, I know the, the arc is. Dude, the arc this, is. This, this wine. The arc is the banger for me right now. So, what's trippy <clears throat> to like hard changes, we're now tasting the wines. You have to also remember these bottles were just bottles, right? So, there's a couple, couple months of bottling. This wine's 34 months in oak. Like we should decant this, give this a lot of time. Oh, but yeah. like this, these wines, when you're tasting wines like this, like they, if they put out on the first date, like this is putting out before the appetizer. Exactly. You know what I mean? And at our price point, you better be getting the full Monty early. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like twenty years, thirty years. Okay, it could be better in twenty, thirty years. But I need a little, like a little. little I'm not. I need a little sip now <laughs> and make sure that life <laughs> is good num, for num. me. You know, <laughs> at these price points, like and you know come what's on. So, exactly. And, and and a lot of people. I don't know. I, 
I speak in, I'm 50. I speak in generalizations. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, a lot of people though, and you know this cause you're in the business. Like, like who the fuck buys a wine? Like, I think it's so presumptuous to buy wine that you're gonna have to drink in like 25 years. Yeah. There's a lot of presumption in that. Um, well, and this is a very American and yeah, I say, yeah, very, thing, yeah. but but it's changing also in the world. I mean, there was a reason why Barolo needed forty years to drink it because the wines had all you know uh, no, old oak. The yeah. wines had a lot of tannin. The the way the wines were made, it was like it took thirty years for the acid to calm down. Mm-hmm. Now with you know, everyone says global warming, which is a total factor, but the technology right. now, the oak, the inoculations, right. the right. way the fermentation, the way the, just the technology is getting there. Right. So, right. you know, the other adage, and Jason said this all the time, he goes, if you tell me it's crap now, but it's going to be great in 10 years, it's, it's like, no, it's crap. This is yeah, like I can't believe that 10, either. Necessarily. It should be different. It right. could be good, but it, right. it shouldn't be like absolutely or don't release it. Right. That's why our wines are, are, are released later, because it's like we aged it for you. It's right. ready to go. Right. Like, we're not just doing that because it's more expensive. It's like, we're doing that because the wine has to be, like, in the zone very early on, you uh, know? Uh. So. And, and we'll get, you know, I bounce around. Um, yeah, bounce. But, but in, inside the conversation of, like, and then there's the whole, oh, why is it so high in alcohol? Like, mm. there, there, there's, like, there's, there's the, the under 13% mafia out there now. Yeah, for sure. You, you know, um. And okay, so this is fifteen five. But for instance, I had a Friday night. I had a sixteen percent two thousand and thirteen. Shout enough to pop Isabel Ferrando Columbus. Yeah, there was no fucking heat on that wine. It was amazing. I mean, I, had would, a I mean, it, it was harming. I was like, I was like, but there, there are people who are like sixty percent alcohol. Ah, you know, well, when I, I post something, someone goes, "Well, that's high in alcohol." I don't even respond to that. I'm like, bro, you you know you haven't you haven't had. I just had a so. bottle. I just had a bottle last night of uh, Nicolas Jolie. You know, his top producer, Sauvignon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it was the 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 Clo V the the V Clo, and it was fifteen percent as a white wine, and that wine is just celebrated. So you're telling me like, if we had a fifteen percent wine from Cali as a white, you'd be like, this is trash. So, you know, alcohol. I mean, you know, everything is like we're we're looking to hate. Yep. You know, it's yep. like really wine is, um, you know, it's it's it's. It's about perspective. It's about approach, and also it's about quality of fruit. Like when the wine is, when the fruit is just bomb, right. the alcohol, the it's all gonna be, you know, all sins are forgiven when you're really dealing with like the sacred cluster. Mm-hmm. It's when you've got like a lot of wine and a lot of clusters and a lot of stuff where you're having to do that. That's that's where you just the, you're not having that sort of density and complexity in the grapes itself. So anyway, yeah, I deal with that all the time. I mean, one of the great joys I love about my company is. You know, hundred acre right now. I our demand for the wines, and I, I think the the consistency, of the quality has been so strong. But when I first started bringing the wines out ten years ago, dude, in New York it ain't easy, dude. You think it's natural wines and stuff? It's like Psalms are like into French wines. They're into uh, no, very bro. cool climate <laughs> wines. Yep. It's like, and I love that stuff too as well. I appreciate it. Me I, too. That's but I'm not like people. in one zone. I'm right, like right. I you, I can understand the varietal correctness and why and and the sense of place, but like. I'm not. You like you said. Like like I respect it, but like like by a lot of buyers, there's, there's a generation that's like they'll just look at the alcohol percent and they don't. They won't even just I mean, on that. You're telling me Del Forno or Quintarelli Amaroni would be better at 13 percent alcohol? Exactly. Than like, right. No, right. that's not, not the jam. Not the, you know. Right. And and I think there's like it's different strokes for different folks. I mean like. Also, these wines are not like Hundred Acre ain't a Tuesday isn't like a Tuesday day wine. You know what I mean? Like it's it's. 
it's a more these wines are like <laughs> it is for me <laughs> yeah no you know number one i like to tell people i go i go i go 100 acre your favorite wine on someone else's table. No, I, that is like, so that's true. Just the dude, right, like that's the right, right, right. the jam. This is only the yeah. second time I had on Jaker wine because yeah. the other bottle was a friend of mine's. You know, yeah, like no. that, that he got like way back like when it was like first release. What was it? It was, it was like one twenty five. Was it wasn't? Yeah, uh, it was like one fifty. Yeah, but, like he got it at one fifty a bottle. But, but and you got it. Like but you got it. Yeah, because understand in two thousand vintage was our first wine at one fifty. Harlan was three hundred. Right. So that was a, that was a grip of money for sure. You know, wines like these. What I try to tell people is like. We're not okay. Would you want to eat at French Laundry every day? Like a, a French Laundry, you'd say, "Dude, it's over the top. It's opulent. It's just a yeah." That's the thing. Like that's the jam that they're doing. Yeah. You know, they're trying to make wines that are you know uh, expressive and big and this this that and dynamic and blah blah blah. You know, you go to Alinea, you don't want you know you know sugar balloons and f- you know food that's shattered and <laughs> nitrogen. But but you dig it. You don't right. go. That's trash. Right. You go. Oh, that's a uh, that's that thing. Yep. That's that. You know what I mean. And right. at the at the level when you're talking about our wines. You're talking five, six hundred cases. These are not right. eighty thousand cases. So they're they're designed to be drunk occasionally. They're designed to be drunk, you know, as Jason says, you know, you drink it on your best day and your worst day. Yeah. Like that's what we're all about, you know. And you know, it's like break glass in case of emergency right. or on your birthday. Like right. that's <laughs> you wanna have a bottle. Like when he writes his letters, like the like right before COVID, like right after COVID, he goes, The apocalypse has come. The doors are closing. In seventy-two hours, there will be no hundred acre left. We will be we will doing be doing airdrops uh, out of helicopters with with you know with parachutes and your doorway. If you order within seventy-two hours, you do not want to be in your bomb shelter with your mother-in-law with no hundred acre <laughs> under no circumstance. Share it with her. You know these types of stuff. He's like, dude, this is your like this is your joy in a bottle, right? Like you know, and and, and with a great bottle of wine, like and trust me, you don't have to spend this much money to have that experience. Oh, right, right. There's no question. But I've also tasted a lot more and had way less, you know what I mean? So price, expectation, you know, it's like the Buddha said, expectation is the enemy of happiness. Yeah. So your expectation, your presupposition is is your um, is your enemy with regard to how you're going to appreciate any wine whatsoever. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, man, like you, you, things turn around in college. You, 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 the term, they, you reinvented yourself and, and yeah. I love that, like, um, so how did you transition in restaurants? Were you working in restaurants in college? How did this? So, and, and the like hustler spirit, like I never worked in, I worked at, as a bus, bus way out back when I was in high school, but when I came in college, like I was about sales. Dude, I was selling cell phones. I had the record at AT&T for most like flip phone, brick phones sold in one day. It's like 27. Like I got like a plaque at AT&T at like 19. I was like, bam, <laughs> you know you need that Motorola flip phone slim, $72 a minute, first minute free. I like know, I was Christ. all about that. And then I started like getting into that. And because um, I like commission. Yeah. Like I can hustle. Like I don't want an hourly anything. Yeah. I want nothing per hour, and yeah. you pay me per commission. Cool, because yeah. I will outwork you, and I and I love the sale. Like this, like like the, the Savannah Lion. You know, I love that piece. Um, and then when I so I started working for a sales company. So fun fact. I was the sales director for a company called SWAT, Summer Winter Action Tours, okay? We used to take (laughs) 5,000 kids down to spring break for four weeks. So I would go down to spring break. I would sell the trips to 
Arizona State, San Diego State, blah, blah, blah. And then I was the MC of the parties, Platinum Pleasures Ball, and all this That's stuff. That's where I know A lot of from. like he's crushed like, velvet. He's like in the background of all these girls going wild videos. Dude. No, I bullshit. Sugar Ray. <laughs> who, I was talking smack about frosted tips. My tips were frosted. Okay? Frosty. Okay? Frosty. So frosty. The amount of crushed velvet and like leopard and like platform. It was just a, it was like a bad swingers porn party. And I was like 20. So I, I used to like go and travel and do these events and this stuff and like love to throw a party, get to yep. know people, da 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 da. And I, you know, as I said, I came from this kid that had no friends to like knew everybody. Right, it was like, right. I literally was like somebody, I had somebody meet me, like met me in, from high school, like three years later in college, I'm like, dude, what happened right. to you, man? You? How much drugs are you on? I'm like, a lot of drugs, <laughs> so much. Um, and I met a girl who was a sales rep at uh, UNLV in Las Vegas, okay. and I just like totally fell in love with her. And uh, the summer of my junior to senior year of college, um, I was dating her long distance in Las Vegas, and I said, dude, I'm moving to Vegas. So I like packed my truck up and I moved to Las Vegas. And not, he's a I'm swingers probably. What do you mean we're going to Vegas? We're going to Vegas, baby. We gotta no, get you the fuck to, out of Dodge, dude. Totally, it's like but, hey, double down, hey, double down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think we'll be up there five minutes? We'll be up five hundred minutes. Vegas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, dude, you're we're supposed to double down. Yeah. You do the right thing. Yeah. Oh no. No, no, no. So I get out there and after like a week of couch surfing, I'm living with her and her sister. They're like, oh, you need a job, dude. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well I have no skills. Like Vegas, I don't know anything. So her father was a pit boss at for High Limit Baccarat at Caesars. Mm. And uh, his name was Nick Boxo. Dude, I owe my career to this dude. Um, he's still alive today. That does sound Vegas. like a, a pit boss's name, though. Yeah, and he, Nick, he was Italian. He was like Italian. <laughs> he was like he, he looked like straight out of like a mob movie, like Nicky Walnuts could have been his name. But he spoke like French, Italian, Farsi. He was like a trippy dude. He was a very cultured guy, but like looked like you know Polly Walnuts kind yeah. of vibe. Yeah. And so I go, I you know, hey Nick, I, I need it. Mr. Boxo number one. You didn't call this dude yeah. Nick, dude. He had hairy knuckles for sure. <laughs> Um, you know, he goes, okay. So he calls Wolfgang Puck and he goes, Hey, I need you to get my boy a job. And he goes, okay, no problem. Show up for shift. Blah, blah. Well, back then Spago was like Spago Vegas was one of the first high end restaurant in Vegas. Right. Like this was before the, like Bellagio. he's the real, like, I think he's like the real, he was the first celebrity. He chef. was the real deal. I, I mean, mean, you had, I mean like Julie Child, there are people at clean shows, but but Wolfgang they didn't have Puck restaurants. was exactly he was yeah. a celebrity chef. Yeah, you know he was in L.A. He was yeah. doing the thing, and like this was a restaurant that had front waiters, back waiters, front posters. You know, I didn't understand all stuff, so I get the job. But here's the thing, I got yeah. yeah, yeah, jump in. Fucking Nikki just called Wolfgang Puck <laughs> and said, "Give my boy." A well, job. and here's why: because he had all the high limit gamblers, I was so say, he right. would send them on casino comps. So Nick. You wanted to like do a solid for Nick, and he was Guido style, so he was like yeah. all about the like you the hook me up, yeah, yeah. You scratch so, my back, totally, I'll scratch your totally. Back. And so I go there. I remember the first day that I get there. One of the guys I'm actually meeting on Thursday works with Le, uh, for Daniel Boulud at uh, Le Pavillon. Okay, was one of the dudes there like twenty something years ago, and he's like running stuff here with Boulud. I get there and. He told, but he didn't tell me this. He told Wolfgang that I had fine dining experience. I knew about wine. My favorite food's meatloaf, okay? That's just let you know I feel. So I remember getting at the lineup, the first lineup. They had a chef. His name was David Roberts, who was like their executive chef. And they go, okay, you know, they go over the menu. Like, what's tonight? Like, right. okay, we're having duck confit with frise, with the bacon, da-da-da. We're having, you know, braised blah, 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 blah. Osobuco with saffron risotto. Uh, we're having, you know, tartatan fombe. Never heard of a damn word. Didn't know. It was anything. like Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. 
Wah, 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 yeah. wah, wah. Braising? What? <laughs> Confit? What? And so I um, I remember training. The first day when you're a waiter, they, you don't do anything. You just, like, watch them, right? right? And, you know, they're serving on the left. They're, like, doing Dover sole with, like, French service with, like, a fork and a spoon yeah, with and one like, hand. And it was, like... And and so that night I get home. Nick ends up. I call, call Mr. Boxo. I go, Hey, Nick, I need to see you. you go at his house at one in the morning. And I go, Mr. Boxo, I'm gonna get fired, and you're gonna look real bad because you told them I know something. I, they're gonna know tomorrow. This I don't know anything, you know. And he goes, Okay. So he takes a table. He takes his dining room table, puts all the service, sets an entire service up. And we did wine service, food service, service that night and every night for the next two weeks mm. after shift. And he got me just there. He just got me there, like enough. Like I could mm. bullshit my way there. And But he, I learned, dude. I learned with like, you know, how to open a wine, how to decan a wine, how to, you know, what a butter knife, why you're doing X and Y. And dude, my life changed because of that. I mean, uh, my entire trajectory of my life changed because this guy just like – Gave me like a week or two of, of love, you know. Now and, your entire life changed because you met some girl on spring break who went to an LV and you fought her out. Audrey, there. she's married. <laughs> she's a lovely girl. She got two kids. All that stuff. But no, that's an amazing yeah. story. Yeah. Like, like. Um, well, and then he started sending me the casino comps. Wow. So I'd have guys. I mean, the second week he sends me a dude that had a big gambler five thousand dollar casino comp. This is nineteen ninety nine. So five grand for lunch for two people. And if you don't spend the money, they lose it. So they buy 10 bottles of wine. Right. They buy six bottles of wine. They're drinking one glass and leaving it. Mm-hmm. So at 21, 22, I'm drinking like banger wines. I, I was just talking to a girl that I, I chat with. She works for Quintarelli. She's in her early 20s. Oh, wow. And I was just telling her the story today. I'm like, 22, I drank your bucket list of wine. And mm-hmm. I was a know nothing, knew nothing That's about me. it. I was a little bit older. But yeah. when I started at Acker, my first like three months, man, I... By the after my first like year in wine, so I was ninety seven, ninety nine. They came out with the top ten wines a decade. I had eight of the top eight of the top ten wines. Yeah, it's not including all the crazy verticals and shit that because yeah. they had the wine workshop. Like, and I knew I knew shit about wine, but then that like set my palate to a different place, and I began to understand. Well, and I got to tell you, for me, like as a like hustler, I'm like, oh, they tip on this. Like, I can only sell you one steak, right. but I can sell you five bottles of wine. I love that. So that part of it got, like, my hustler spirit. Mm-hmm. I was like, next day, okay, Windows of the World by Kevin Israeli, Janice Robinson's book, Wine for Dummies. Like, you did, you went to Crown Books. Like, you didn't go, you know, and stacked it up. And I was like, okay, There's oh. No this, to, me, this, to me, this was like drug dealing. I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn how to slang it and make money. Yeah, because, man. You know, I remember I walked out. It's like maybe the second month I was there, I walked out with a 1000 bucks. In 1999, I had never made $1,000 in two months, you know, and I blew every damn dollar of it that night. I was like, yes, sir, you know, oh, but, but you I, go big but I realized, I realized, we used to say in Vegas, it's not how much you walked out of the restaurant with, it's how much you woke up with. <laughs> like, oh, you walk, you know, but I learned like, oh, okay, this is selling. And then I actually found something I love selling. Like people were into it, man. And then I got to meet cool people and then I got to eat good food. And so it sort of accidentally started this journey for me in fine wine. And, you know, I also just saw how much joy it gave people. Like people were like into it. They wanted to be sold good wine. They wanted to be told a story. They wanted to hear about X, Y, and Z. Like one of the first wines that I ever learned the story of was Silvio Yermont. So this Italian producer, he had a wine. Oh yeah. 
J E R M A N N and R M A N, and he makes a wine called Vintage Tunina, which is like a blend of like Tokai Fuliano, Ribola Gialla, Piccoli, Chardonnay, and the name Tunina was Casanova's number one lover. And I remember telling that story to people, and they were like, "That's sexy." I'm like, "Yeah,", yeah. and that was like that selling like thing, like, yeah. "Ooh, I just dropped a little." Little, yeah. little number one Casanova's number one lover on you <laughs> and they were like tipping me more and I'm like oh so like that storytelling and that desire to be engaged was really really cool with regard to that he so makes that, a started. good uh, uh, rosé out of Nebbiolo Everything, I mean it's like 30 bucks too I mean but yeah like, yeah I mean, I mean but, he makes like big dog oh, yeah. ones Capo Martino's right. yeah. and, and Weird um, Dreams and stuff but yeah but I love that as he said he said um, um, I mean so like it's a wild city living in Vegas. Like you went out yeah. and spent a thousand bucks that night. You just blew it all, which I would have did the same thing too. Man. Yeah. Um, but like give a twenty two year old a thousand dollars in cash. Like yeah. okay. Like you know, this Vegas. is a problem. I mean anywhere, but in Vegas. It was, yeah. it was, it was like. Well, was, let me also preface one thing. I have to say something funny. Spago and Wolfgang Puck was the first restaurant tour in Las Vegas to be non union. So in Vegas, if you were a waiter, you had to be drug tested. In Vegas, he did not. So it attracted like it, all of the like it was a real restaurant, druggy, crazy <laughs> yeah, Anthony exactly. Bourdain yeah, Kitchen yeah, Confidential yeah. style. Like right. so, it was just a zoo there. Yeah, but they were doing five hundred covers a night, like epic stuff. But it was like this is I'm in a madhouse of psycho people. Oh but it was God. great, you know. Who, I was like, I was I just talking about that? Like yeah, like literally, um, there can be so it's like you said, like non-union, like like restaurants are like, oh yeah yeah yeah, it was uh. To the IG live, but like, yeah, it, it's almost like carnies, like, 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 like you know that like, that carny where people are weird and they like, we can make some money today, you know, <laughs> like they were gonna yeah, do drugs like, all night long. Yeah, right. It's like, it's tonight like, we're gonna take over the world. You're just gonna finish all these drugs first. You know what I mean? Right, and like, totally. it was totally that. I mean, when I read Anthony Bourdain's book, I was like, oh, I've seen all of that. Yeah, you know? yeah, so yeah, I was like, yeah. You know, I was like, and I grew up in a crazy life, so yeah. as a young buck, so I was like. That was too weird for me. Yeah. I was kind of like, "Oh, okay." Like other people would be like, "This is a, this is an unsafe place." I'm like, "No, this feels no, pretty it's good." Fine. What are you talking about? Yeah, absolutely. He's drinking at eight in the morning. <laughs> that seems about right. He's, he doesn't have to work for five more hours. <laughs> He's good. You know, it's like, oh, no, no. He 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 didn't start drinking at eight a.m. He's still drinking. Yeah, he's been. It's up. okay. It's, it's diff- totally different. If you didn't start at eight, <laughs> no. you're just finishing at eight. Totally different style. You got to understand these things. So. so that being said, like, <laughs> um, and I love what you said. Like, so many people like. I say this a lot. It is. I love the romantics. I'm a romantic. I'm a cancer. Yeah. What can I do? Yeah. Even I'm a water sign too. Yeah, I'm a Scorpio. Yeah, so yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, and and while we're talking about our romantic sides and our water signs, we should take a quick break and we'll we'll come back and we'll we'll hop into uh, a little bit more about Vegas. All right. So we'll be right back, everybody. Awesome. Hey hey, what's up? It's MJ again. Listen, we all love a sexy wine label, but the back label is more important. Do you want to know how to score a great bottle of wine every time? Turn that bottle around and look for the Skernick Wines logo. Skernick Wines has been one of my favorite portfolios since I came into the business over 20 years ago. Whether it's a $10 bottle or a $100 bottle, you can count on Skernick Wines to deliver every time. And it's not just about wine. They also have one of the finest portfolios of craft spirits. Make sure you go to their website, www.skernick.com, and check out their ever-evolving library of cocktail recipes. Listen, I don't say this lightly. Skernick is a name you can trust when it comes to wine and spirits. Okay, we're back. So, um, 
Vegas is so you got people getting comps. Yeah. Um, You're and, drinking like epic wine every dr- night, yeah. like free. You know, it's a trippy situation. So like, there's but then there's there's ballers and there's posers. Did you ever have any like like posers <laughs> come through? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, you'd have the like, you know. Like waxing poetic about a yeah, Santa about- Margarita Pinot Grigio, <laughs> or you know, we'd also get a lot of guys that would like talk super big about a wine, and then you'd taste it and it was corked, you know, that kind of stuff. Like um, in Vegas, you had a lot of that. I have, I'll tell you a great story though. One of the we had a great guy that used to come in all the time. He wasn't a poser. This dude was rich. Okay, I won't say his name, but he used to come in. Uh, and he would always be with two or three prostitutes every time. Like Probably very, should. very. I'm high glad end. you didn't say his name. Yeah, very high end, but they were very high end prostitutes. And I was he was say something, but I'm like, so initials are CS. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it, it ends with it starts with Mandon and ends with exactly. Mike Schmeichel, you know, exactly right. so or something like that, you know. Right. Um, and he would come in all the time, and he would drink baller wine, like great champagne, salon, old wines, whatever. And like after about the twentieth time. I was there with him, and like the hookers didn't care about the right. wine. Like they were like working they were there they were for the money. They were like, so I used to lean in his ear and I go, "Hey, um, hey, you know, you don't have to spend this wine money. I'll bring them some like Moet Chandon or something, whatever. You know, you don't spend this." He goes, "But then you would ruin this beautiful fiction." <laughs> like he's like, "Oh, I'm on a oh, date. Hey. Like I'm on a date <laughs> with these four. Like yeah. he was like living in his like he was golden. He's like, no, no." I'm like I'm out with three hot chicks that want me yeah. a lot, and, I'm and they love salon. these lines. Mm. Yeah. Ooh, I'm is, isn't this sorry told in uh, Nebbiolo uh, yeah, amazing uh, Jersey Turnpike? Yeah. Skylar Rain. <laughs> like, how do you feel? How do you feel the '74 was as a vintage? Was it a little a little reductive? You know what I mean? And he was down like that, you know. And I realized, like Vegas, you go to be like it's in, it's a, got a lot of negatives, but the joy of it is that you go to be whatever you want to be for whatever you want to be. And people that live there are doing that too. Oh yeah. You know, they're like lit, like everybody you met's like got a three side hustles. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they're They're trying to like Elvis. They're uh, you know, they're uh, yeah. Or you work at a weird thing, but you're starting a new business and you're going to own a nightclub and it's going to be in a car wash and like, no one's going to (laughs) know about it. You know what it's I mean? It's called the bubble room. Yeah, it's like yeah. strippers, like <laughs> like bubble you down, and we serve only Tete Cuvée champagne, right, right. but it's open from two, 12 a.m. to 5 a.m. So it's like a late night, after hours, bubble wash, car wash, strip club. And if you and, and, and no one knows where it is, per se, because you got to come in through the side door. Yeah, no, yeah, I totally right. get the it. The cops were paying attention all the time. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was Vegas, you know? So if you want to get down and you want to understand, like... You want to get the best experience in wine and like see how bizarre the wine world is in a wonderful way. Like that was definitely the place for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I went to Vegas one time with a client when I lived in Santa Barbara. A client literally walked into the wine shop. I worked in Montecito. He's like, "What time do you get off?" I'm like, "I get off at uh, whatever time." I was like, "I get off at 7. He's like, "No, you're not. You're getting off now. I'm taking you to Vegas." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this dude bought me a ticket to Vegas. Yeah. We went to Vegas. He was a VIP. They, they picked us up. Fucking dude staked me fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah, you know I won like five thousand. Gave him his fifteen hundred back. A, a lot of these dudes are lonely. <laughs> yeah, and that's what like, I got. They got like dough, like, who, and they like need goes, people to go with. Exactly, like who, who can go on a Tuesday at three it, o'clock? Exactly. And just bail. Literally, like, like who? Yeah. Like like he knew me. I sold him wine for like two months. Yeah, and like he, he like. Like and you like it's lonely like like you said earlier like there's a lot of people who have a lot of money but they're still a loser because they don't they're not fulfilled inside you yeah know right I mean? yeah yeah, yeah. Um, 
So, um, but yeah, I had one of those wild nights in Vegas, man. I was like, whatever yeah. you want, dude. Yeah. You know? Um, I've seen it for sure. I mean, uh, I've sure. lived on and off in Vegas three times. I still have a lot of love there. I have a lot of friends there. Um, but, you know, Vegas is like the most fun you would never do again. Like, yeah. I did it. It was epic and great. But it's sort of like, it's like the teacups. You do that ride one time. You want to go like, hey, yeah, no one goes on the teacups no four times. No, 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 so you just barf. No, no, you know, exactly. it's not going well. So, so what would you say your biggest takeaway from, from Vegas was, though? Uh, I think my biggest takeaway was that there's a career in wine. Okay. You know, I was going to be a lawyer. That was my job. I was oh. going to go to law school. I'd actually got accepted to law school. Um, so kind of what happened while I was in Vegas, though, was I studied to become a sommelier. Okay. I got into it. Greg Harrington, who owns uh, Gramercy Cellars now, was the master, youngest master sommelier in the world. He was 27 and seven months. He was the psalm for, for, uh, for all the Wolfgang restaurants. And so, like, I took his intro wine class. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, you know, and I was into it. And then I, it kind of like became a hobby. I ended up becoming a psalm and became a floor psalm and was buying wine and mm-hmm. doing stuff, not just in Vegas, but in some places in L.A. And then um, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer, though. This was like a way to get through school. And then I like basically my summer between going to law school, I went to France and I was like, oh, dude, I was in Pomard and Bonn. I'm like, this is my mm. thing, you know, like I really want to do it. And so, you know, the takeaway was that there's a career in wine. You know, 20, I've been 21 years in the wine business now. Um, and dude, it, it's a real job. And there's money to be made and there's yeah. prestige. And, yeah. you know, like I didn't, no one knew a wine salesman. Do you ever know anybody in your 20s that worked for distributor? No, I mean, but now you know people all the time that work for beer I'm, companies, I'm liquor like, companies. You I'm know? like, I should have stayed in wine. I didn't realize it was going to be, I didn't realize it was going to be such a big thing. I joke. I said, I was like, I didn't see it. So that's great that you saw that. That yeah. you, that your eye, you know. Um, people are willing to spend five thousand dollars on a bottle of wine. Like, okay, I can sell them that. I just got to find that wine and find those people. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And that was kind of the idea of, of all of that stuff. And so that sort of became the journey for me. And you know, I I kind of one thing that did change for me is I quickly learned that I didn't want to be a sommelier. Okay. So I started learning about wine. I was doing the floor, but I realized, and I had several mentors. I want to give a little love to a guy named Chris Levine. He's a senior vice president for Broadbent Wines, so great producers, all these epic Maderas. He's a great dude. He taught me a lot about wine early on. Um, But I also kind of realized, like, I didn't like criticizing wine. Mm -hmm. I like judging my own wine, what I like, but, like, there's kind of like a – snarky assholeness in sommeliers and it still exists but it was very prevalent at the time of like do you know how hard it is to make a shitty wine hard even a bad wine takes a lot of work it takes 12 months of harvest and grinding and sweeping and a lot of money and i I, as i started like working with smaller producers i realized dude their lives are on the line here so the idea of like not supporting them so i wanted to start working as for wineries, mm-hmm. the supply, like the supplier side or the winery side, that was like got me down. Like I was really into that, and I loved meeting the families, and I loved like dude, we're riding together. So I started only I started working for wineries and only worked for family wineries, and I loved that idea. You know, that was something special. You got to be nuts to be in the wine business. You got to really love it, especially to start a small winery yeah. in Sonoma or somewhere in Paso yeah. Robles yeah. or whatever. You know, yeah, no, I mean, I got friends in Paso Robles, and like you know. Like this one friend, like he's like, I can do this because my parent, because land was no land was cheap in Paso Robles, and my family yeah. bought some acres. Like literally, like you could buy fucking three hundred acres for seventy thousand dollars. Yeah, right. In the seventies, and no yeah. one knew what it was going to be. Yeah, but you know, you make you make two thousand cases, fifteen hundred cases. Like, you know, it's a hairy deal, man. You well, know, I'll give you a good example. Like hundred acre. You know, we're we're among many that dealt with this. 2000 vintage, we lost all of our vintage to, to fire. 
We lost 10% of our vineyards. So that's had to be replanted, and that takes five to seven years. And then 2021 comes. Now, that's all uninsured. People think, oh, you have insurance. No, wineries do not have insurance on their grapes. Only Gallo does. Only Kendall Jackson does. Yeah, I was going to say, because you, yeah. don't, you can't afford right. $300,000 premiums for a f- something that may happen. You pay that every year for 20 years. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, those are big, big, big because they are multi billion dollar operations. Yeah. Nobody's I mean, like. E- even us, we make really expensive wines. That means the insurance policy has to be very big. Right. So we lost all the 2020, and then 2021, no fires, but the crop was down 40%. I mean, that's a 30, 40, 50 million dollar swing, you know? Now, say you're a small producer, that's a million, two million dollar swing. That's your life. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, a, it's a bittersweet mistress. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, you know, you see in France and hail and firestorms and blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, ain't no easy days in wine, in the wine business as far as the production side, you know? And so as I started meeting Psalms and they were like assholes to producers, I was like, dude, you, you never worked this hard in your life for one day. <laughs> and they do it every day. So I, I got a lot of love for that stuff and the passion and the risk-taking, dude. Whoa. Yeah, you know, yeah. for real. So so, so what was like your deal um, after you said you want to be a Psalm? So, and I know you like sales. And I, I heard you on another podcast. You talked about like you're, you're very um, driven. and aggressive. So you set some goals. You want to be a VP of – Yeah, uh, I wanted to be a VP when I was 30, right? I was yeah. like, okay, VP, that sounds good. Like VP is a good thing. Yeah. So – I started working for a winery called Chalk Hill. I was I've heard of Chalk in the Hill. early days, made oh, great wines. They did used to make some really good wines. You know, wine, 1996 right? Vintage was the number three wine in the world, Spectator. I was 24 years old. That job, when they hired me, I had zero experience. I had no expertise in this. Just bullshitted my way into it. And I just told them, look, dude, no one's going to kill for you the way I will. You know, I literally told oh, it to this dude. <laughs> I'm like, the VP was like, I was like, oh, you, I literally said, you see those guys out there? Guys and gals? They ain't gonna do for you what I'm gonna do, you know. And I kind of gave him this crazy look. Yeah, it was kind of like taxi ass. driver style. Yeah, yeah, and he was yeah. kind of like, I like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I started working for them. You know, it was a crazy place. And then I became friends with a guy um, who's my best friend today. His name's Dan Cohn. His dad started the winery, BR Cohn Winery. Yeah, his dad was the manager of the Doobie Brothers. You know, so they were like growing weed and exactly. growing wine. See, that's and a like good, legitimate so weed and a wine. Lot, like, a lot, a lot of people. That's how they uh, survive. Like the cover crop was yeah. like like yeah. chocolatai yeah. and all that. like legitimately yeah, and this legit. is what was happening. Yeah. You know, and I started working for them, and that was like really working for a family business. They were batshit crazy. It was five kids, four kids, ex wives, ex you know two ex wives. Right. Da 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 da. So it was like working. Brothers in some, throwing axes at each dude, other and shit. Like people are crazy. Like, family fights are crazy. guys like dropping barrels on people's head. It was like <laughs> shit. Like Plus, you had all these rock and rollers that would come in Hell's Angels. Vince Neal came over and is like drinking whiskey from a bottle and like shooting handguns. And the thing. that shit was happening, you know? Yep. And so, but I kind of liked that too. I came from a chaotic place. I'm like, yeah. oh, people are freaked out by this. I'm like, I love this. <laughs> I, I care my people, you know? And so I became a vice president at 27. Um, I basically, and how I became a vice president was real simple. I go, you guys don't have a clue what you're doing. You need me. Like, I'm going to run it. But I said, if I'm going to tell you a lot of things you're not going to want to hear. Are you ready for this? The medicine is going to burn. But it's going to heal you. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I used to talk. I talk like that. I literally talk I like love that. that. No, you listen, know? Like, and, you're the adult. People don't even realize. The adult room just tells people what they don't want to hear. Well, when it comes to sales and marketing, because so many people, I see it to the day, like people trying to sell their wine, they think they have people who are writing copy. I'm like, no, that's a fucking, that's like a children's book. You need that, those words aren't going to make anybody buy anything. You know what I mean? Like, you got to break it down for people. Well, also, if you have a winery, it's like you have the cutest baby. 
well, not all the babies are pretty. You know, they may it's like be that ugly. Episode, right? Well, yeah, you may be a butt ugly baby, but you're going to be a magical swan later. Right, but right. we're going to get you to swan. You're not. Right, right. You're not doing well. You know, and so I started becoming what it, what kind of became my hallmark in the business was I started working for people that like needed help, like that were like needed that cast drink whiskey, and like I could take chaos and a dream and create the future for them. You know, and for that company, we took them from 8,000 cases of wine to 75,000 cases. You know, we were selling multiple wines. We started getting great press. We started doing things differently. And so my career started to, after that, I started working with more wineries. I started working with with producers, kind of how I got to 100 Acre. Mm-hmm. was like, I, I, people would recommend, who's the craziest person in the industry? Great. You'd be great for that person. So I started working <laughs> with people that were artistic, that were eccentric, that were manic, you know, and other people wouldn't be able to deal with them. But I was kind of like, didn't stress me, you know. And I, what I loved, I loved their mania. I loved their artisan. I loved their fact that they wanted to just like, you know, win it all and take the all the risk. And, you know, my current owner, Jason, you know, he Jason Woodbridge, he is the craziest dude ever. I'm talking like in the world of wine when that's a lot. There's a lot of crazy and he loves that crazy. That crazy is his like life, you know? And for me to be with him for so long, anybody that I meet, that I tell him I work for him 11 years ago, dude, you made it 15 minutes? Like he's just that kind of dude. Yeah, you so- either work for them for 20 years or you're gone in 15 minutes because he's going to say shit that's, buck, that's nuts. But his approach to winemaking is just savage. And I, I, I want to be around somebody who's passionate and talented, you know? And that's where I live now, you know? Um, yeah, let's talk about Hundred Acre for a second because, yeah. um, like he he had some problems when he first came to Napa. He he was not liked. Yeah, he, he got, like didn't he like uh, he had issues? Like he was saying he was dumping stuff wrong. Like there was like early two thousand. This well, is so yeah. so. Here is what happened. So you have to think about this. If you take so you take our our say our peer group right, like yeah. the most contemporary like. Harlan, Screaming Eagle, Scarecrow, right. blah, 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 all those kind of guys. All of those people are generally, I like to say, their stories tend to be someone who was very successful doing something else. Yep. And they bought a winery yep. when they had a lot of money. Yep. They bought expensive land and they yep. built a lot of stuff right. and they hired a lot of expensive people to make right. wine. Right. Jason is the owner winemaker. There's mm-hmm. no owner winemakers at his level. Right. So he, and he's a self trained winemaker. So he comes mm-hmm. into Napa in 1997, 1998. And he's like untrained guy. And you have people that have like Andre Chelichev, like disciples, people that have been studied in Davis, Bordeaux. They've, they've worked at Dujac, DRC. Da, da. He's like, I'm a Canadian dude, never made wine before. I'm going to make the best wine. You guys all suck. That was kind of his general strategy. What he, what he said, what he didn't say was he didn't say you sucked. He said, you're charging a lot for something and you're not doing everything to make it the best. Mm. That was his idea. He goes, okay. I'm going to kill for this. I'm going to, I'm going right. to, I'm going to, you know, the cult wine, the term cult wine started in like the 1997 vintage, 94, 95, 96 was like, yeah, it was 97 because that's when I came in the business of Acker yeah. and, and we had a cult that was the wine shit and it was vintage. screaming Eagle. It was Bryant, uh, Bryant, uh, the first, Turley Zins, because Helen Turley yeah, made right. them, the yeah, Marcus Sands, right. all yeah. those. That term cult, and so the pricing was like exploded, right? right. And it was when, like $125 dude, for that a was, bottle of wine that that's was, never been released before. That was sick, right? It was crazy. And, and what Jason basically was saying is, what are you doing to make sure that this wine is the greatest bottle of wine of all time, every time? And the concepting with 100 Acre was that. He's like, I'm going to create a brand 
and a wine that's like an idea. It's not a winery. It's like an ideal. I will kill for this. The ring around the bottle, people don't re- understand this. This is a wedding ring. This okay, is his commitment like to you. Okay, wow. So this is a this is twenty four karat gold that's glazed into the glass. The first vintages, it was all gold leaf hand painted. It took four months to paint all the bottles. If you find a bottle now, it looks like all kind of like janky because it kind of like flaked off over time. <laughs> but he was like, "This is my commitment to the customer. This is like I killed for this. I put all my own money in. I do no other jobs. I make no second labels. I sell no fruit. It either makes it to hundred acre." Or it goes in the trash, and nobody Whoa. does that. So nobody does that. So I no, mean, no. I mean, think name a producer of any wine in the world that just makes one tier. They that's um, I can only other person I can name is uh, Justin Smith at Saxon. He has the same philosophy. Yeah. From Jason's like I'm yeah. like I'm not doing a fucking second label. Yeah, I'm not that's, like letting some and, and rip for, on and my And for fruit. him, it's all estate fruit. He's all estate. Yeah, fruit. we're estate also. All, you know, um, and that's a trip, dude. And it's is, expensive. It is. A lot of people don't realize that estate fruit is really magical um, because you're in control of your destiny. But what if you have a bad year? You can't buy fruit from somewhere else. Right. You can't band-aid it. Right. Like you're riding and dying. Like you're in a marriage. Like we're riding and dying together. Right. Right. And especially now, kind of fast forward a little bit now, what's happening in the business. I feel like in Napa, Napa wine has never been more popular. I mean, the prices are going through the roof. The demand is nuts. 2020 vintage is going to make a very short supply for people. You know, um, for us, we have no wine. And, but what's happening is I feel like there's a lot of winemakers. There's only five winemakers that make all the wine. There's, the consultant winemaker is very popular in Napa. Yeah. So, like, Dude, mad love to Thomas Rivers Brown. Mad love to Philippe Melka. I, mm-hmm. I know them and like them yep. personally. Andy Erickson. Andy Erickson. Yep. Uh, Tony Barrett. Tony Barrett. So, okay, there's yeah. five of them, right. and they make 300 wines between them. Yep. That feels a little less special to me. Right. Like, you know, so for Jason, he's like, I make one wine. Yep. If you want to try Arc Vineyard, you got to buy this one. I bought the vineyard. I planted the vineyard. So... So in the very beginning, when you talked about he was a little bit unliked, what happened was he was just challenging everybody, the county, the commissioners. Right, right. So what was started to happen was he, he, they would say, well, you can't do that. And he said, well, why? I own this land. This is my place. Oh, you can't do this. Can't do that. And he was kind of like, oh, we're going to do that. <laughs> like, I'm going to do it. And you just sue my ass later and we'll yeah. just deal with it. Yeah. So the story was is he – the Ark Vineyard was actually a forest. Okay, it's like a forested hillside that surrounded a very famous vineyard by the name of Chabot. That was the piece, like a big part of Beringer Private Reserve mm-hmm. in the Sabragia days. And mm. you know, it's very hard to plant a vineyard where there's a forest. Okay, so they told him, "Well, if you want to plant it, you know, you wait five years, ten years, if ever, uh, you know, to be able to plant it." And he goes, "Well, I'll move the trees. I'll move them." Like, you'll move them like 5,000 trees? He's like, I'll move them. Still no, still no. Well, he's from Canada, and one of his buddies that was like a timber attorney. I was like, there's loggers or timber. Well, no, so he goes, so he goes, so his, his, his attorney goes, Have you ever applied for a California logging permit? There you go. That would supersede the county. <laughs> so what happened was, is he gets the permit. Yeah, ladies, come on, come on down. Baba, baba, num nums. You know, uh, so he gets a logging permit. And he moves all, so he gets approved, supersedes the county, moves all the trees, plants the Ark Vineyard, and then 
The mistake he made is he told a couple buddies. Yeah. Well, now the county commissioners were like, "Dude, you dead." Yeah. So he got in trouble for you know a well. He got a, we got in trouble for you know not having a door that was up to code. They were like anything they right, could get right, him on. So right. for the first couple of years, he was like. And, and, and of course, it's like felony wine right, right, person. Right, it was right, like right, right. never anything was charged. Right. But it was it was a response. To, I would say up until about ten years, five years ago, dude, we couldn't get a permit for a parking space because right, right, they're right. like, all right, dude, you like you worked us, and it's a mafia thing up there. Like oh, there's yeah. there's one part of it. Napa's quite great. Look, you don't want Napa Valley to be like a, a mall, right, right? right? It's a preserve, it's a trust. But there is a lot of stuff where you go like we're farmers like we have to do farming things and mm-hmm. so so you know that but you know what instead of getting pissed he's like you're right i'm doing it my way he's like it's my life he's like i, I don't have five million bucks ten million bucks i got this right so um as i said he's a countercultural guy but this is a dude who bleeds for what he does you know and i love that about him yeah no that's that's awesome <laughs> but yeah i mean something you said earlier and and uh, about Napa and I think people uh, and you I'm glad you flushed it out like um, there's like I said there's five people who's making like 300 wines you know um, and then uh, there's companies have bought up a lot of that a lot of smaller family wineries sure. now yeah you know and um, <clears throat> even things like okay so the Chapelet family was there before Harlan and, yeah. and like. But he made Pritchard Hill famous, but like, and like to this day, like, like Chapelet fruit's fucking delicious, man. Like, yeah. you know, like, so let's talk about, um, I know while we're just, we finished one, Jason, uh, and your bio, it, it, this is, this is what Jason said. He said, he is the Genesis and you are the Exodus. Yes. And what he means by that is like, he's the creator of the wines. You know, and I'm the like leading them out of Egypt, because Jason. Let it, my people, wine yes, go. Yes, exactly. Well, Jason looks. <laughs> Jason looks more like a hell's angel. He's six five, three hundred pounds, long hair, beard, skull belt, leather. Like he has a lot of guns and fast cars and blows shit up. I mean, he's definitely he's the least Canadian Canadian ever. Yeah, I was like, that does not he's sound like so a Canadian. He's so un-Canadian. Man. It's sick, right? And um, and he loves making wine, but he hates the wine business. The business of wine, he cannot stand. He goes, so wait, I gotta like, I'll just say like, I gotta meet a sommelier that's twenty five, that's a wine buyer, doesn't know jack shit. I gotta tell them why my wine's good. Fuck that. He's like, you do that. Like, I make my (laughs) wine. If you don't like it, I don't give a shit. Like, and he's he's he used to say that a lot. So I would stop taking him to places. Like, we were like getting escorted out of places all the time. You don't want to buy my wine? Fuck this place. I'll buy this place and close it down. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, he would say shit like that all the time. Like. And I was like, oh, okay, we're going to have to stop taking it to these accounts. You know, and so by Genesis, he's the Genesis. I'm the Exodus. Like, you know, before COVID, I travel 180 days a year, 35 countries, and I'm out telling his story. And it's rich. I mean, dude, if you want to tell a story, you want to tell a story of a dude who's doing crazy shit. Because yeah. you never run out of material. Oh, no. You know what I mean? It's like, and when I tell people these stories, it's like, the like the taste is very important, but the air around the bottle right. is adds a lot to the experience. Right. You know, it's right. like, you know, and so if we can if we can create this drama and really this these attitudes and his letters he sends out to the mailing list are just like like the ramblings of his like spoken word. They almost sound like and he, and it's like, dude, this isn't like oh the Verasian and the, you know the, the grapes. <laughs> the, 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 we the picked fruit, that the September uh, the, was a perfect month. The, the wine flowered in 70 April. Seventy degrees and days. And I, I, we I, picked it twenty three yeah. bricks. 
I inside spooned every vine. It took me <laughs> 17 months to get every single vine, and I, I nestled. You know what I mean? It's like, he's, he's like, this one, he's like, you know, he's telling you like how he felt, like how I feel in April. Dude, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Like, this wine made me feel this way. This, you know, this person, blah, blah, blah. And so it's a very emotional space. Like, if you asked him, if you did a tasting with him, and you said, so tell me about the barrels you use. He's like, why do you give a shit about that? That's yeah, kind of like yeah, irrelevant. Like, yeah. like, is that going to enhance your experience? Yeah. Why don't I tell you like what I was feeling like? What did I tell you like what, what the vintage was happening? Like when we planted this, when I tasted this wine, I'm like, that's much more interesting than, well, they use this yeast and the pH. Like, these are just like, Innocuous, you know. No, what I mean? and, and and so and and, and I think a lot cool. of like I'm nerdy. No, about I'm nerdy too, enough but, too. But but people, but that's yeah. like every freaking wine podcast is like breaking down bricks and clonal yeah. selection and barrels and yeah. like, now listen. There could be some dope shit with. Bar- I've had dope conversations about barrels, but like they were interesting. It was like, yeah, I met you know, I met you know. Atelier's son, and we did fucking. We drank uh, absinthe all night, and then yeah. he made a special barrel. That uh, that story, I want to hear yeah. about how you drank like, absinthe like, all night. I got like ripped, and we streaked the vineyards and yeah. made a barrel at exactly, three in the morning right. that had like exactly. a unique kind of vibe. Right, right, you know? right. Yeah. But that's a barrel. That's story. That's a barrel you know? story. Yeah. Not like you know, fucking okay, barrels are and you know, um, well, like a better story would be like, you, what story do you want to hear from Angelo Gaia? Like, oh, you did this, you did, you made it this way. Tell me about when you decided to use new oak right. in Barolo and in an area where it was like verboten. Right. Tell me how you felt about that. Tell me how your mentors felt about like, dude, that's that makes the wine feel like like visceral. It's like something more. It's experiential, you know. One of the things I love to say about wine, and this actually I'm ripping it from Jason, but he's like, dude, wine is a time machine. He's like, we're now 100%. tasting 2018, October 8th. We're also tasting it right this moment. It will never taste this way again. Yep. When I had this, uh, when I drink this wine, I'm going to tell you when I had it, where I had it, who I had it with, what I was eating. So I'm able to be in three places. I'm in the past, the present, and the future at one time. And he's like, great wine is that's when you get there. This is like trans, trans, transformative in that particular way. You don't go, man, I had this great martini at the da-da-da-da-da. He's like, dude, I had this bottle yeah, of wine. Yeah, no one ever goes, I had the best dirty martini at no, no one. No. Yeah, or remember when we, that dude brought this wine? It was really expensive and it was trash and the $30 bottle that we bought was like epic. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, that wine was, like, that's the, the visceralness, I think, in wine. And I think that's always what we're trying to get to. You know, when I talk about the wines, when Jason, we generally talk about metaphysics. We're talking right. about emotions. Yeah. Um, yes, I can tell you that, you know, all these wines are single vineyard. This one is on a 30% slope. This one is in, you know, clay soils, blah, 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 blah. And I'm happy to do that to some time. But I generally feel that that, ex- that experience is less exciting than when I give you, like, sell you the sizzle. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and when I go to the Psalms here in New York, is a great example. I mean... I've been coming here a long time and, you know, last night I got to see a bunch of Psalms that were like, I knew them when they were like waiters and now they're like buyers at like right. Polo Bar and, and Catch Steak and John George and these different places. And they always tell me like, dude, I love the way you talk about wine. Right. Like I right. try to tell people about wine in that particular way. And, and I think that the connectivity of wine is that, that time machine emotional thing. That's, that's like, that's the extra. That's the, I got a free bottle of wine out right. of it because I got an extra experience out of it and I really try to foster that in a big way. Oh man, that's dope. Um, how did he come up with the name 100 Acre actually? Yeah, so, you know, he's originally from Canada, um, you know, and he kind of, he, he 
he went to high school in Alberta. And if you don't know where Alberta, Alberta is like the northern reaches of um, Calgary. He grew up, or now in Edmonton, excuse me, which is in the northern reaches of Alberta. It's all forest there. It's like literally, that's like where the timber comes from. And when he used to run through the woods, he used to be like, oh, this is kind of like, like a magical forest. Like he's really into like the Lord of the Rings. He's into like, you know, um, you know Winnie the Pooh and these types of things. Then when he Winnie the Pooh, our, so it uh, came from Winnie the Pooh. The name came from Winnie the Pooh. There you go, Miles. The there name you. did come from Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. So what happened <clears> was, yeah, is, you know, yeah. you know, what was what was the hundred acre wood? It was like he literally, I'm literally doing my sound. He's like hundred acre. They didn't have a, a picture of Winnie the Pooh. And I was like, dude, they're not putting a picture of Winnie the Pooh on a six hundred dollar bottle of wine. He's yeah. Like, but no, you were right. I was wrong. I don't even care. I wasn't wrong. I didn't know. Well, because like, what was what was meant? What was what was hundred acre? What was the hundred acre wood? It was like Christopher Robin's like special place. Anything could happen there. He didn't live there. He was he's visited there. He, you know, da 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 da. And it was kind of a place where like anything could happen. And also, when we bought the hundred the Ark Forest, you know, his boys. He's got three three boys and one daughter. They were young boys, and he would read them Winnie the Pooh. And he used to tell them like, "This is your hundred acre wood," you know. And uh, it's like everything's possible in the hundred acre wood. There's nothing not possible there. You know, it's not a real place. It's a it's an idea. Right. And so wow. there's also a lot of symbology in our wines. There's so there's the glazing of the glass, uh, the the um, around the neck. On the label itself, there's an excerpt from the Odyssey. It said, "This is a story of a man that was never at a loss for words. Yeah, now, he traveled the, the world. Wow, look at yeah, that. Yeah, and so that's an excerpt from the Odyssey about a person who like traveled the world, got super worked, like things were really hard, saw his friends die, but had experiences, but like rose." Again, on our wine, The Wraith, um, he wrote another story. And around the neck, it says, fate whispered to the warrior, you will never survive the storm. The warrior whispered back to fate, I am the storm. You know, And so there's also in our boxes, if you get a wood box, pull out the dividers. And under that, there'll be hidden messages burned into the wood. Longitude, latitude lines, quotes, happy birthday, MJ. It could, <laughs> and it, there'll be 20 different messages each year that he just will just basically just like riff you know and so so jason please at some point put listen to the black wine guys yeah if we get podcast. a B- bwg <laughs> we gotta get that you, you know what <laughs> you may not want it in the vitor we will probably want to go for like a sky ride or something yeah, big exactly. thing. that'd be dope to have a bet maybe we'll do like a bespoke one for you you know what i mean so you can have it you know so well most people like what do they do with the boxes it's like okay i've got like one like knickknack box one that i put my weed in it the other is like make a succulent box out of it you know but i don't need for all the boxes so but you know that's what I love about him is like a playfulness. There's a lot of hidden messages in what we do. But uh, he just reminded me of that Saturday night skit. What's that for? You put your weed in it. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I go, you know, <laughs> that's now, a big ass box. I mean, and what are these three bottle cases or something? Yeah, three bottle cases. Yeah, yeah so you're putting that's like a lot you're of putting that. OZs. <laughs> yeah, you're that's <laughs> a quarter pound going in there, stacks up, neatly exactly. vacuum sealed. You know. Um, I saw a dude on Instagram because you know like the great joy of Instagram is like they will tag 100 acre of course and the dude made like amps out of them like little individual like <laughs> guitar amps out of each one like travel guitar amps I've seen you know obviously people make tables and all that yeah. type of stuff but you know it's an experience in that way yeah. so hey, for 650 a bottle you should get a box that you can use later yeah, or something like, so, like a forest uh, you can make like a tinder tindle like kindling for like a for like a fire something very oh, magical you oh, need Second God. use. My, my cat Howard, Howie the Wine Cat. Okay. If you guys want to follow Howie the Wine Cat yeah, on Instagram, you know I'm following that. How, Howie would be up in that box, man. Yeah, for sure. Oh you put, put your toy, little, exactly. little toys in it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
So here's a guy from Canada, yeah. never made wine before, comes down to just fucking kicking ass, taking names in Napa. Um, but he didn't co- He didn't start that way, MJ. It was like, people don't understand, like, when he started not to cut you off, but... No. So the first wine he ever made was 100 Acre. Yeah. So he didn't make, like, a $20 wine just to try? Yeah. He didn't try to, like, ooh, I'm going to work it out. Like, I'm going to make a $150 bottle of wine. It's going to be expensive. That'd be like if a three-star Michelin restaurant opened. You never went to culinary school. You didn't. You taught yourself how to cook. You know what I mean? And the first night it opens, it's, like, 500 per prefix. And no, and also he was telling people to eat shit. So he was also right. they wasn't that nicest dude when it came to that. But like a lot of countercultural figures in Napa started to really like him. The first three vintages of 100 Acre 000102 Kaylee Morgan. If you go in our library, we have very little of it left. And I, I used I asked him one time. I'm like, oh, is this because like it was in demand? He's like, dude, we drank that shit. We couldn't sell it. <laughs> he's like, we nobody was interested right. in the wine at all. So he's like, that was all the wine we had. Like we, we were like partying. <laughs> And so, the, the quick shout out to uh, to Jay James, uh, Master Sommelier. Uh, he was the first sommelier at Bellagio. Okay. And Bellagio was a big deal. It was the biggest wine list in the country, right. you know, and it was a big deal. And he basically met Jason. Was like, dude, this dude's batshit crazy, but the wines are epic. We couldn't even get distributors at the time, so it really didn't start like everyone's like, oh, dude, you're balling. For the first five, six, seven, eight, nine years, it was like very scary. You know, but he was like so focused. He's like, you know, he's, you know, all the credit cards are max. You're buying the most expensive equipment. Mm -hmm. You're buying vineyards. Like everything's like on credit, you know, for the hope that one day it's going to go well. And then it did, you know, but it's still been a crazy ride, dude. You know, it's crazy in that way. But sorry. I want to know. No, no, no. That's a perfect. People always think like it's an overnight success. It's like overnight success after 10 years. Well, that's, I mean, that's, I've, you you know, I've read a lot of books on because i worked on myself and like you know oh no most overnight success is fucking 10 years right yeah i mean i tell people britney spears who i love and it's kind of batshit crazy but like yeah. she was on the mickey mouse club beyonce was three years old on fucking america's got talent with a fucking show yeah. like, like like when you yeah. see someone who's 17 who's a fucking pop star they've been singing for 15 years man yeah or they've been in church they've right been doing exactly the thing. Right. yeah you know yeah um i mean i think with wine too it's like you know people really are into the pedigree if you're gonna pay a lot of money. You're generally not paying for the wine itself. You're paying right. for like all the right. well, the rep, this this the right. resume, you know. So, uh, correct is wrong. Twenty two hundred point scores. We just got our twenty seventh hundred point there score. You, go. Um, you know, look, I, and I want to say two things. Number one, that's an amazing accomplishment. It's only been dude. You're like the fucking Yankees of ba- of wine. Well, we've only been making. <laughs> we've only had 18 vintages. Okay, well, that's even sicker. So, and and he'll like the Yankees, the 90s Bulls. <laughs> well, I think the trip of it is is number one. Like obviously, to get a hundred point score is really magical, but to have a lot of success, consistency yeah. is extremely important. But one of the things I love about Jason also, you know, we haven't had our wines rated since 2015. He stopped rating them. Oh, shit. Because he's like, not to say we won't rate them again. Right. But he's like, you know what? Like, I'm not like on that. You know, like, dude, wine spe- you don't think Wine Spectator, Wine Advocate, Anthony Galoni, these guys, they all want to rate the wines. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know what? I Like, we're doing well, but I need people to be buying because they're into me. Yeah. Not because, like, you know, you know, when I get an importer that re- emails me, like, hey, when's the press coming out? I'm like, I n- never. Yeah. It could come out. In 20, another great story was in 20, the last time we were rated, Lisa Prati Brown did a full retrospective. She was okay. new, yep. newer with Parker. Yep. And she said she wanted to taste the wines. 
So Jason said, the only way I'll let you taste my wines is you have to come and taste every single one. So they tasted 84 wines from every single wine he ever made. He goes, you cannot rate my wines until you understand me. If you do not understand me, then I don't want you writing about my wines. Mm. So they sat down and tasted all these wines. I mean, dude, you're talking like, do you want to talk about like a tasting of the day? Like mm. when they left, I was like, bam. Like we were like, <laughs> dude, I was like, you get a car, you get a car. Like giving like the valet at Charter exactly. Oaks, getting yeah. the deal, like, you know, hooking up a Sunshine Market bagger. Like, here, dude, don't tell me when you got this. This is O2. <laughs> this is the shit. Um, you know, I'm joking. But, you know, so she tastes the wines. She does a full retrospective. She gives his 2015s, all five wines get 100-point scores. She gives him another three wines retrospectively that had 100s, which is like the greatest day in a cellar, like as a winery. I mean, just for like prestige and also for sales. First question, he goes, what didn't she like? He wasn't pumped at all See, about the press. You know what but that's what wines up. did she downgrade from that Robert Parker? That, he was tripping yeah. on the one got a 99, 98. It was a 99. He's like, what didn't she like? And that's kind of that artist. Like, yep. in, like yep. he's confident, but he's also like really folk. Like he's, you know, that tripped me out. I was like, Jason, you should be like, we're done, dude. We don't have to sell anything anymore. Like people, the fax machine was like, you know, or whatever. Like our phone's ringing off the hook to buy the wine. And then he didn't rate the wines again since that time. So since December 8, 2018, he hasn't rated the wines. And so, because he's like, dude, we need to like calm this down. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to be the dude that like 99 is not good. Right. You know what I mean? Like yep. I'm making my thing. I also don't want to be influenced yeah. Because what starts to happen is, is like, dude, when you're a chef and you get a three star or the, you know, three star Michelin or New York Times gives you a five banger or whatever, you start like, now you're chasing that dragon. Yeah. How do you keep it? Right. How do you keep right. relevant? You know, and that starts messing with your psyche a little bit. And I think he's constantly trying to like do his thing, you know, and I, I give him a lot of credit for that. And it's also worked. I mean, because in a lot of ways, because now the people that really buy our wines are just like totally into what we're doing. Yeah. And that's a special, special thing. That you know? is. And you're yeah. not in the machine. Yeah. You know, like, you know, we're not worried about advertising. We're not worried about how much money we spend, how much you know, ass we kissed. You know what I mean? And I think that's a really, we're in rare space in that way. You know, as I'm telling you, dude, when, you, when you're in young winery and you get a 92 or something like that, dude, that changes things, you know, in a good way, you know? So anyway. No. Um, it's stressful too, though. So, we we got a little bit more time left. Okay. Um, you guys recently expanded into Malaysia. Yeah. Okay. 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 And you were quoted as saying, Southeast Asia is one of the most exciting wine and food scenes in the world. And the buzz for wines from California has been building for many years. Yeah. Talk, talk about that. Because you know, your, your fiance is actually she's Cambodian. Southeast Asian. Yeah, she's Cambodian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she says in her words, she's a jungle Asian. You know, they didn't drink no wine <laughs> in Cambodia, but uh, she likes wine. She likes wine. Um, is, you know, so, you know, what, what, when I started selling the wines internationally, there was no demand in Europe at all. I mean, you couldn't go to Europe. Yeah. And then in Asia, wine is not a part of their culture. But they're interested in eating, dining this, and they got into French wine. The Bordelais were yeah. pumping yeah. Europe, I mean, uh, Asia, like crazy. And they were like, and the sophistication for wine was very low, but the money was very high. Got it. So people were just like acquiring stuff. Mm -hmm. And they were very interested in the French wines. And Burgundy didn't, no white wines, no Pinot Noirs, like cab, cab, cabity, cabity, cab, cab, and Bordeaux and whatever. It became like kind of a status thing. And then as I started bringing Napa wines, there was not a lot of demand there. 
but it's the most exciting food scene out there. Dude, do you know what Cabernet pairs with in Asia? Almost nothing. Like, yeah, go to right. a Chinese food restaurant and, like, have Sichuan. No wine pairs with that. Like, right. you know, if you want, you know, now, you know, sushi and certain things pair with, like, champagnes and whites, but no red wines. Yeah. Bordeaux pairs with nothing. Right. So you were eating, like, these cuisines and none of the wine really paired, but there was this, like, epic food scene. And as I started to like, it was fun for me because I was like really educating people on wine. Like no one had heard of 100 Acre. Like in Cali, they know 100 Acre. So I'm kind of like doing the like quick story. Like, oh, Jason, you already know him. You tried the da-da. Dude, I'm in Malaysia. I'm in Thailand. I'm in places. And I'm like, they don't know much about wine. And so it was really fun to kind of like do the like Fisher Price, my first wine class. <laughs> but they also had like a shitload of cash. Right, right, so that right, was right, also right, nice, right, you know. Right, right. Like I went to a tasting once in Singapore where 12 people were at the table, there was $40 million in assets at the table, and one of the guys managed the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Singapore at $365 billion. That night, those guys drank $80,000 of the wine. I mean, and it was like, they were literally drinking it like this. Boom! Boom! Right. 61 right. Chambon! Right. Bam! Ah, you know, it was like yeah. it was like a frat party of like really like and it was like the wines were really hot. It was like it's like sticky there. It's like hundred percent humidity. Like you drink a hot wine and it's red, it's like it just catches in your throat. It's kinda of like it's like curdled milk, you know? And they're sweating, I'm sweating, like, have some more of this. I'm like, nut these I'll have a beer off the cheapest beer. Bottle. So it's ninety-eight degrees and hundred percent humidity. But it was exciting. Now Cali wines are really doing that, doing right um, in Asia and also Europe, dude. We're selling a lot of like it, it's a big deal to be selling wine and like yeah, the I, UK is our second biggest uh, yeah, export I think, market. I now. would think that's a big deal for California. I mean, people don't give a fuck about the Judgment of Paris or then how California yeah. wines won again. But now that the fact that that it is in in a market like the UK. Which drove the market for claret, you know, and everything. Yeah, and they were the auction houses and everything. Like the yeah. fact that a wine is now shown up there—that is huge. Yeah, you know, it's like straight. Like in in London and in UK is kind of trippy. We're we were sold by Waddinson, and Waddinson is the Rothschild family. Okay, they only sell their wines, so that, they only sell the Rothschild sense. wines and Hundred Acre. <laughs> so it's like we're the only non Rothschild wine of like Jacob Rothschild. It's like. And that was like a big deal. Like that was like straight. Like we did the tasting at Waddinson Manor. This is like straight out of like a. They're like fox hunting in the front. Yeah, it's like and straight like, out of like they're PBS drinking and like shit, yeah, right? no, and they've got like the, the hounds tooth <laughs> and like little derbies, and they're like to release get, the hounds, Smithers. To, to get a guy who's like drank like you know every vintage of Mouton is like drinking hundred acre. You're like, damn, we made it. You know yeah, what that, I mean? Like that that's kinda, like that's like the Jefferson. You just moved on up to the yeah, big side. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I love that. That was always a great example. You know, excitement for me. So, so, um, you, you like you work for this iconic, big, bold Cabernet Sauvignon producer. Yeah. Like what? What do you drink? What like what like what's like your nightly drink if you're not you know when you're not working? Like so you mentioned you had a, like a cool uh, you had a uh, Nicholas Jolie from uh, Loire Valley. Yeah. Like what, like what? What? Like what? And like you told me like I got to get the, one of these South African wines. Sadie family. Sadie family. Yeah. Sadie, family. yeah. yeah. What, like what do you what are you drinking? Like what what do you like to drink? I, like? I'm I'm sort of like the way I'm with wine is the way I'm with music. I like get in and like go down the rabbit hole. Like I'm the guy who like finds a band and like gets all their catalog, yeah. listens to it, da 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 da, and I'm like that with wine. So. So it's funny, um, you know, we were kind of like hacking on uh, natural wine. And so it's like kind of like doing an exploration of natural wine. Like it was not a magical exploration as far as I was concerned. The, the weird part was I just tasted a lot of int like weird stuff. Yeah, like that's they were the just problem. kind of doing what's up. Yeah. But then I met some producers that were like 
OG natural, but right. they didn't pimp it as natural. Exactly. So That's like, what I've said. Yeah. So like Emilio Pepe from Abruzzo. I can't. I, like that Trebbiano de Abruzzo. Dude, Trebbiano de Abruzzo, the, pecorino, um, the pecorino, pecorino. I just had a bottle of coat at Fuck. coat last night of uh, Emilio Pepe 2013. They still foot tread. They do everything uh, in cement. You know, they recork wines. Dude, it's no sulfur. And these wines are off the charts, but right. they're not like but uh, they're not like we're natural. I've, I've they go, no, people, this is just yeah. the Abruzzo way. Yeah, exactly. When when you start marketing it that way, you got a problem. Like like people have been making wines naturally for years and biodynamically, and I don't want to pay to get whatever certification. Like it's a, you're, but like I I for me it's a red flag when that's like the first thing out front. Well, so I'll, I'll tell you this great story. So there was a guy. And I'll tell you what I'm really into right this moment. Yeah. But so there was a guy. He was like his Insta handle was like you know natural wine freak nasty four twenty or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he like he like had a bottle of hundred acre that like Rob Gronkowski had had in his hand. It was okay. like you know jock boy you know f boy yeah, wine right, right. love da 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 da. You know, and he was like talking shit. You know, and I sent him a, me- a message to him, and I was like. Hey bro, I'd love to just talk to you about our wines. So at least, have you ever had them before? Do you know anything about them? Of like, he fucking I took, had them. I took the high road. Right. I was like, instead of being like, "You're a wanker," you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> da 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 da. And I told him, I said, you know, I'd love to tell you something about Hundred Acre because, you know, our wines, we don't rack the wines. We leave the wines on the lees until they're bottled, which means that we don't have to sulfur the wines every four months as we rack them. So these wines see ninety-five to ninety-eight percent less sulfur than any wine on the planet. Not because it's natural, but because, yeah, we're trying to keep the one chill. So this is kind of natural shit. Like right. we don't do right. – we're not adding sugar. We're not doing right. all this kind of like dark arts stuff. And I was like, hey, I don't care if you like the wines, but just like know what you're talking no, exactly. about. Exactly. Like Shut talk the that fuck t- up, bro. Like talk that talk. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then so another wine I'm really into right now Punks is – Punks jump up to get beat down. Yeah, man. <laughs> So one of the wines I'm into right now, Sadie, Sadie Family, S-A-D-I-E, from Swartland. And this guy, even Sadie – is probably the one of the world's most um, mind blowing and innovators of regenerative farming, which okay. I find much more interesting than natural wine. Yep. And regenerative farming is basically like totally making the ecosystem of the vineyard. Like you're not paying attention to the fruit, you're paying attention to the dirt. George he, Washington Carver. Imagine if George Washington yeah. Carver were a vineyard manager. Dude, he'd be he'd be like he'd be like he, the he, hippie he, Yoda exactly, exactly, of, right? of biodynamic he saved stuff. Yeah. The South after yeah. all they did for him. <laughs> but like when you talk about regenerative like that's who comes to mind for me like so he found the all the whole he's, ecosystem he's in Swartland and so he found all these like old old vines like um, Palomino Chenin Blanc Semillons um, all this uh, Tinto Barroca and they're like so old they're 120 years old bush vines they're producing nothing like they're producing very little and they're in a drought area so he like brought them back with regenerative farming mm. to get them and now the wines are like Oh damn! And my buddy Chris uh, Chris Levine from Broadbent, they mm-hmm. they, pimp, they they sell those wines. He said they pimp. They pimp those wines. <laughs> he gave me one of the bottles one time, and I was like, "Uh oh!" And then I like bought everything I could find. I'm like fanboying on YouTube and all that. So I'm really I'm into that. I, I but but then I'll like make myself sick. Like I'll drink all that, and I'm like, "Ugh, I'm right, done," right, you know. Right. And then I'll go. I'm like, oh, I don't want those anymore. And then I'll find something else. So I'm definitely like a. Um, People always ask me, like, dude, what's your favorite wine? I go, the next wine. I'm just really mm. finding whatever the next wine is. Um, and and uh, what I also say, I like wines that are not replicatable. Mm. So, like, Emilio Pepe Trebbiano, Pecorino d'Abruzzo, you know, um, Tinto Barocca from Swartland. Like, you can't just go do that right. somewhere else, you know. Yeah. Um, so when I find producers, like a DDA Dagano from Loire, 
that person is doing their thing. There's no yeah. substitute. Nicolas yeah. Jolie. You can't just go find yeah. another one yeah. of those. Yeah. So I love that type of stuff. Um, you know, because I feel special. I'm like, dude, I'm drinking like the one, yeah. this is the one jam, yeah. you know? So what about you? Like one thing, when, when I first got turned on to you, you know, I was saying you were like, I don't remember which wine it was, but it was either like, maybe it was the Walls or one of the mm-hmm. ones uh, you were in Walla Walla. And it was like, you know, straight out of Compton, you know <laughs> what I mean? It was like with the wine, I'm like, that is the perfect wine pairing for this. And then you were like um, Turtle Rock and yeah. different, like you got, you were like getting into wines and they were in areas that were sort of off the beaten path, yeah. newer yeah. style producers. And I love that stuff, dude. Yeah. I'm the first dude that's like going out and buying that. I'm like, great. Yeah. Like if somebody's yeah. like super pumped up, I'm like, I want to be pumped up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to. I want to find the new thing. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I'm. All, I'm also like a proselytizer. I'm like, oh, you got to get this. Yeah, me too. You know, and I'm, I'm give. I give a lot yeah. of wine away, yeah. and I'm like, yeah. I've like bought twelve bags. So I'm like, I only have one bottle of because I'm just like, oh, you got to try this. You got to right. try this. Like, because that's the jam, dude. Is like yeah. turning people on to a hot restaurant or a new wine. Yeah, like, that's that's the shit for me, you know. And like, you know, um, that's what I love about it. Like you, it's the excitement. It's the story, um, and you know, does it taste good? And and that was like kind of my thing on Instagram initially, and like now I'm busy doing this shit and I don't do enough wine reviews. Yeah. Um, but like, like there, like, like there will be something on a label. Someone like you know when I got an interview for Jeb Dunnick, I was like you know like uh, it might be Ark. I'll go find a sign, a, a song that says Ark, right? Or or like I'm looking at this. I love this. He's Canadian, but it says United States of America. So American on it. Yeah. Like 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 yeah. Like, like, it's like it's the subliminal. I'm like yeah. I'm like, that's like a lot. He could have put yeah. USA. Exactly. Good. Yeah. Like, yeah, goes, yeah. United States of America. Like yeah like, yeah. So yeah. I'm thinking I'm thinking I would do like Childish Gambit. Like, this is America. Like with yeah. like, like for like yeah. Oh for dude, like, for sure. You know I mean? Oh yeah. Right. And it's like oh. a very dark wine. Right. right? This dark This is America. Yeah. For sure. America, yeah, right. yeah. A I'm fucking so cold, Cana- like yeah, yeah. A fucking you know? Canadian who's committed to making the best wine in yeah. the world, man. So well, and also too for me, like I can't be like, hey, you got to really try hundred acre. You sound like a prick. It's six hundred fifty dollars a bottle. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you got to get you some of this. I'm hey. like, I can't afford it either. <laughs> so you know, you got to find like, you know, my Instagram is I ate what I a t e w h a t. I ate what I ate what because people were always like, I'm eating out all the time and. You know, and I was like, what are you eating? What are you tasting? Where's the spot? And so everyone's always hitting me up because I probably know where to eat where you're going. You do. If I don't know, (laughs) if I don't know, and I'm always down. So I, what was like, Instagram was like, dude, and it was always like, oh, you got to try this. Oh, I met a wine shop, met some cool person, met a cool girl, this, that, that, chef, blah, blah, blah. So that was like the explorational thing, you know, you know, recommending a thousand dollar wine. It's like, yeah, it better be really good. Yeah, no. Oh, oh, this is good. Yeah. yeah. Dipshit. It's a thousand dollars. It's just like, it's it's a Mercedes payment. Okay. Like, yeah, it's good. You know, so anyway. <laughs> Fucking Landon Patterson. We're yeah, out of man. time, man. Oh. Holy shit. Thank you so much uh, for being here. Yeah, man. Thanks um, for putting up with me. Dude, you are a gentleman. Uh, Mr. John Ward, who passed away a few years ago, is my cross-country coach. Okay. And he used to say this, but I this definitely applies to you. You are a gentleman and a scholar. Oh, thank you, my brother. I feel the same um, way about you. And, um, man, thank you so much for coming here making this happen. Yeah, dude. Um it's I'll be debuting in, some wines with us. Yeah, man. Come 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 see me. Come check me out on I what uh you'll start to see where I'm traveling to. We, we have some new brands coming out, new wines coming out next year, a little less than six fifty a bottle, so we can get in on a Tuesday. Uh and uh would love to show you guys those and come check me out. I'm around the world, so uh, I'm coming to a city near you at some point soon. So very nice. Yeah, so it's I the 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 letter I. Uh-huh. These are fifteen the fifteen five is kicking in now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I brought two bottles of wine because everybody else bringing wine. I like, know, I know. Bang, bang, bang. Like, two two he, bottle bangers here. Okay? He's from the West Coast. He's from, he's from the LBC. He's like, fuck yeah. you, bitches. I'm bringing two bottles. Yeah, everybody and got, bangers. Everybody got their cup of the ain't chipped in, <laughs> <Exactly>. okay? <laughs> so I, A-T-E, what? And um, man, thank you so much. So I'm a little banged up, guys. Here, I'm like just kicking in now. God but bless. until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks which you and Jason are philosophers, which you definitely are deep thinkers and all the wine drinkers, MJ. Peace, everybody. Cheers, brother. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. 